All right. I think we're live on everything. We're live here on Twitter Spaces. We're live here on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel as well. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'm sorry that I am a day late on this. Things got a little crazy, a little hectic last night. And quite frankly, I was not interested in staying up until midnight with all the stuff I still had to do. So I apologize for the delay, but I promise we have a good show. I want to make sure right now everyone can hear me on Twitter spaces. Everyone can hear me on YouTube. And hopefully we are running on all cylinders here. I got one thing set up. All right. I am obviously, as you can tell, I am running solo tonight. Silas and Hunter cannot make it. So I will be doing my absolute best on running the show. A little bit of a, you know, I went uh, went a little little hard here with trying to do the Twitter spaces tonight solo, but we'll see how it goes. I'm hoping I'm hoping it goes well. We can get some good callers on here and um, see what happens. Okay, so I'm just now getting everything set up. And then we'll be rocking and rolling here very shortly. Okay. I think we're good to go. All right. And then Silas can just, you guys can see a little behind the scenes. Silas will probably cut all this for the actual podcast. But, um, oh, Silas is joining us in Twitter spaces too. Great. Okay. All right. Let's do this. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Debate Night Wednesday edition. We are live not only on YouTube tonight, which is what we used to do back in the day. But we're also live on Twitter spaces at the same time. So tonight, if you are, I'm going to put the, if I can do this, I'm going to put the link for you guys that are listening right now on YouTube live. I'm going to put the link on the YouTube. So that way, uh, if you do have any interest in jumping into the conversation, you can pop over on Twitter spaces and join in. And I'm going to take callers over there and uh, get some of your guys' opinions on what you think on certain things. So let me quickly see if I can, uh, let's see, taking live calls on Twitter spaces. Join here. I'm hoping... I'll pin that and I'm hoping that actually works for you and we'll see how we do. Okay. All right. This is the first time I've actually ever done it this way, but I think this could be a cool way of doing it in the future for some of these nights, especially when I am solo uh, to get some, some different voices on the channel. Like I said too, it's going to be interesting to see what the future for debate night holds, because as many of you know, we are going to be switching over to a new podcast um, setup for this. It will no longer just be me and Hunter. It will be Trevor will be coming in to host the show and we'll have a bunch of analysts, a bunch of uh, you know social personalities in to debate topics with me and Hunter will be on there as well sometimes. But there might be an additional show where we get a little bit more like this show where we go into more details. 
The new show coming up will be much faster pace. We won't really stay on a topic for 15, 20 minutes like we sometimes do on debate night. It'll be much faster pace and a little bit more digestible for some people, uh, which leaves me to potentially having to do another podcast on top of that where I can really dive in and talk about some of the issues and topics that you know require maybe a little bit more than just a soundbite or a few sentences here or there. Uh, I'm going to do my best tonight to keep track of the YouTube chat. Um, but like I said, the best way to get my attention is going to be on the Twitter spaces where you can just request at the bottom to talk and uh, I can bring you in. And if you disagree on a topic or you want to add to a topic, I uh, would love to have you come on. So like I said, Twitter spaces. And if you're listening to me on Twitter spaces right now, um, we are live on YouTube at the same time as this is going on. So if you want to go over on YouTube and see my beautiful face while I'm talking, you can go on the foundation podcast, which I want to say everyone listening to this, whether you're listening to us live or you're listening to the podcast, uh, on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to it. Thanks so much for all the new subscriptions on the foundation podcast channel. We are closing in, I think on like 25,000, which is nuts. This was a channel that was created not too long ago. And uh, we used to really appreciate all your support. So thank you for everyone that is, is subscribing and tuning into not just debate night, but grip locked in the bag, all the different shows, uh, the Trevor Staub show, all the different shows that we have over here. And before we get into tonight's show, I want to quickly shout out the sponsor of tonight's show is Atlas Scout. The uh, if you haven't checked it out, um, this is my go-to rangefinder. It is probably the most affordable rangefinder that you can find. It shoots in feet. It's very accurate. The battery life on these things are incredible, and you you probably aren't going to find a better uh, price for this. So go over to atlasdgs.com, pick up a Scout. Um, I don't know how many we have left. I know they sold out last time I did a promo on these on YouTube. Uh, probably going to be doing a promo on these on YouTube in the next few days. So if you are looking for a range finder, check it out. And if you're one of those people that is hesitant, like I've never been against range finders because I had a golf background, range finders were crucial for me, but I've played with a lot of people that are like hit or miss with range finders. If that's you, I promise you, go out, get a rangefinder, try it for the first time, and just see how much better your game will get when you start realizing like, oh, I only throw that disc 280 feet. I thought I threw it 300 feet. Or, oh, these two discs literally travel the same distance. That's good to know. Um, or even on some holes, it really is helpful to not just shoot how far away the target is, the basket is. It's also helpful to shoot how far away a tree is, how far it is to cover, uh, water, all these different things. So if you're looking for a rangefinder, Atlas Scout, check it out, atlasdgs.com. Um, go pick one up. All right, let's jump into tonight's show. Tons and tons and tons of player movement. You think that we would finally kind of get a slow, calm week, not really a lot of movement. Uh, no, not this week. I'm just going to kind of rattle off all the stuff that I have I have on here. If there's anything that I missed, please let me know. I'm pretty sure this is as, as up-to-date as of an hour ago, I want to say. I haven't checked to see if anyone has done anything crazy in the last hour, but this is as up-to-date. The first thing I will say, there has been no talk 
on the Simon front from Simon, from Dismania, from MVP. Obviously, MVP had that funny meme with the Steph Curry that they posted. I thought that was very hilarious. Um, but there hasn't been any talk of this is a complete rumor. I'm staying with Dismania, or Dismania hasn't come out and said anything, and MVP hasn't come out and said anything. Does that mean anything? No. I don't, I don't think that leads me to believe that he's staying or leads me to believe that he's leaving. Um, as of right now, the Simon talk is still up in the air. Some people are throwing out that Simon staying and Eagles, the one that's going. We're just going to have to wait and see. Um, and again, like I said, I have no idea what is going on. Uh, I'm with all of you anticipating to see what the next move is uh, moving forward. So no news on Simon, but I'm sure as soon as we near hear something or know something, Hunter Trevor will tweet it out. So make sure you're following those guys on Twitter. All right, here we go. Here's the list of the of the of all the craziness that went down the past six or seven days. So you have DN Carey and AJ Carey both. We talked about them both leaving Innova. They have both signed to Lone Star. Uh, Stacy Ronsley has signed with. Castaplas. Uh, Bradley Williams has re-signed a one-year deal with Innova. Now, the interesting thing with this one-year deal is, again, a lot of these teams have different tiers, okay? So I didn't get too much into the sponsorship. I know that's one thing that someone asked me on last debate night is, can you explain the sponsorship? Their, their sponsorships are vastly different. It's very... The, the best way of maybe explaining it is just like pretty much any other professional sports team. It's very, the pay is very different from, you know, a third string uh, defensive or let's say a third string uh, quarterback. No, quarterback's going to be, that's bad. Let's, let's go with like a third or fourth string defensive lineman versus the starting quarterback. Their two salaries and what they're getting paid and what you know benefits and bonuses one has versus the other, they're going to be very drastically different. Disc golf is no different in the sponsorship game. Um, and sometimes that's how you have to kind of view sponsorships is almost like, you know, Innova, Discraft, Lone Star, MVP, Dismania, all these people are uh, the sports teams, if you will, and they're trying to grab people on their team. Now, the only thing I don't really and I've said this from the get-go, it's not a team, right? Like I'm not interested in being best friends with someone just simply because we're sponsored by the same people. Now, if we happen to have uh, a relationship because we both like the same things, we enjoy hanging out, that's one thing. But the whole team aspect, to me, uh, it's very, is it Formula One-esque? It might be. I mean, we've seen that. You know, in the past, again, I'm not the hugest Formula One but uh, fan, but I think it does kind of translate well when talking about disc golf and sponsorships is that where you've seen like two people that are on the Red Bull team, that are on the Mercedes team. And one, one of them obviously wants to be the head honcho, but the other guy is already here and he's told that hold back. And there's, you know, there's a little drama there. Like this is an individual sport. Uh, bowling's probably another one. Dylan just said bowling, probably the same thing of where if you're all 
Golf is the same thing. If you're all sponsored by the same golf ball, that doesn't mean that you're rooting for that person because they you both hit Titleist. That's where it's kind of different. Now, I will say the beginning sponsorships for a lot of these people, and Lone Star was probably the first one to really make a big splash because of just how many people got signed by their like street team or whatever it is. And I think that got pushed out to a lot more people and a lot more people were brought aware of these street teams in the past. Like those things maybe went under the rug a little bit more that as far as I know, like that has been around for the longest time of where you're looking for people that aren't necessarily going to be playing on the pro tour and aren't really even interested in playing on the pro tour, but they have a name in their local community and you want to help support them. And they're going to do a good job of marketing you and getting your name out there. Uh, That's something if you have been paying attention to us at foundation, we haven't announced the team this year, but that is the route that we went this year. In the past, we have signed pros And we just really didn't see the value um, in doing that. And so we wanted to change it up this year. And we went with the route of signing, again, people that maybe they do aspire to be a professional and be on the pro tour. But as of right now, that's not where they are in their game. And we are trying to help facilitate them in putting on tournaments and running events, running league, like basically being able to grow their community and us being able to be a part of that. That's a lot of the street team of a lot of these. And for most street teams, I'm pretty sure it's like, we'll just send you a couple discs. Now the, the thing that's kind of weird, cause we're not a manufacturer foundation's not a manufacturer. So we aren't, when we sponsor someone, we're not saying the only disc you can throw our foundation disc. That's not what we're doing. We can't do that. We don't make this. However, if Innova, MVP, Lone Star, Discraft, if they sign someone on the street team, sometimes, and I, this is where I think there are differences between uh, sponsorships, you could be required to only throw their discs. And what ends up happening is essentially like they'll give you a handful of discs, three, four discs, and then they'll give you a discount to buy their disc, but then you have to basically remove your entire bag, and now you're only throwing their disc. So yeah, some people that might be really beneficial. Some people might think that I don't want to do that. I'm going to spend $200 on all brand new discs. I, I don't want to go that route. So it, it depends. It, it's up to you on what you want to do. The next step after that is going to be like some. sometimes they will help you with tournaments. So you might play four or five tournaments and those tournament fees might range from $20 to $120. And you might get a sponsor that will cover that. And then as you kind of keep going up the food chain, you're going to have like tour series discs thrown in there. You're going to have like guaranteed money in there where like every month you're getting money. Um, there's it keep, As it keeps going up and up and up, there's more and more possibilities of you being able to make money. Uh, I would say the majority of pros on tour right now probably do not get paid a guaranteed money. The majority of pros that you see, well, not that you see, because we don't, you really, the, the pros that you're seeing on coverage, 
they are getting guaranteed money, majority of them. But the pros that you don't see, which is like the 95% of the people that are filling out these fields, they are not probably getting guaranteed money. They might get a guarantee of like, hey, we are going to make a thousand or two thousand of your discs. And every time we sell a disc, we'll give you a little kickback. That might be a guarantee of like how many discs we're going to make for you. But it's not a guarantee of how many are actually going to sell. So that's where it gets a little dicey for some pros on being able to pay the bills. And uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Bradley Williams, re-signed one-year deal with Innova. So let me go back. He is not on the highest tier, which I believe for Innova is the star team. He is on whatever tier is underneath the star team. He didn't get moved up. Very interesting to see this because he did win a Disc Golf Pro Tour event last year. And if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the only other Innova MPO player that won a pro tour event last year was Calvin. Big Germ didn't win. Sexton didn't win. Joel Freeman won a silver series. I'm corrected. He won the Pittsburgh silver series, but Bradley Williams won the preserve a big elite event last year. So that had some question marks for some people of why did he not get bumped up? Um, and again, like the, the tier system Getting bumped up is very beneficial because in that scenario, if he would have gotten bumped up, I believe he would have gotten a tour series disc, which would have vastly increased his income potential uh, for that deal. So I'm not entirely sure. I didn't. I don't think we heard anything from Bradley uh, on why he didn't get pumped up or if he's going to say anything about that. These are things that normally, again, don't really get talked about too much as far as from like the players and the manufacturers themselves. But that's an interesting one to me because I thought he had a pretty solid season last year. I've played with him a handful of times. He's a very good, very good player. Uh, I would not be surprised if he took another pro tour down this year or was in the hunt for a couple of them. So keep an eye on that. See what happens there. Uh, Cat Merch, two-year extension with Innova. Jennifer Allen, two-year extension with Innova. Uh, Nathan Queen resigns with Innova. Uh, Maria Leva signs with Thought Space. So Thought, Thought Space picks up another player. Uh, and also, I've talked about this a little bit. I, Maria, watching her game, she's someone that I think has a very high ceiling and someone that hasn't come close to reaching that yet um, with her athletic. With some people, you can just see that they're more athletic than other people. And if you're more athletic, your ceiling is going to be higher. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I know she almost ended up winning. I'm sure she was probably in contention for a couple of tournaments, but the one that I really pay attention to was uh, U.S. Women's. We had an off week, so I was able to watch that, watch the entire final round. Um, and she was kind of in it for a while. So we'll see what happens with them. That could be a big pickup. But you know, a, a company like Thought Space picking up someone like um, Maria Leva with Thomas Gilbert, uh, two, two big people there. Um, then we have Evelina resigning with Innova for three years. That's a big pickup, I believe. Again, Evelina, I've talked about this multiple times. If Evelina can ever figure out how to putt, if she just decided, you know what, I'm going to dedicate two hours every single day to putting and just got really good at putting inside a 30 
30 feet, she would be taking down pro tour events left and right. She would. And so that's a big pickup for them. Three years. Um, then we got Robert Burridge. That was another kind of under the radar for a lot of people. I think he obviously burst on the scene with his battle with Simon at the DMC um, up in Des Moines. Uh, but again, this is where it's so hard, I think, for a lot of fans of disc golf because there's just such little coverage of so many players. You only get a, salt, a small slice of players. And occasionally you might get the pro tour that, you know, talks about like, oh, this person shot an incredible round earlier today, but they're in 50th place. Or Joe Mez might do like uh, the hot rounds of whatever. And you might see a couple people's names flash up, but you rarely ever really get a full picture of what's going on on tour. You really just see who's at the top of the leaderboard. And Obviously, you can't really do much when you have that many cameras. Obviously, you're not going to show who's in 70th place. Most people aren't going to want to see that. But this is where you miss out on someone like Robert Burridge. When he pops into contention at DMC, you're like, what the heck? Who is this guy? Where Where he came from? But if you're on tour and you get to watch these players consistently play, you realize that there are just some players that are missing a few pieces here and there. And if they have a good weekend, they can b- bounce into contention. So him going into co- him getting into contention, not surprising to me. Aaron Gossage getting into contention at Worlds, not surprising. Tristan Tanner getting contention at Las Vegas, not surprising. There are a lot of players that if you're around them constantly, you can kind of see the skill level and understand. Like again, like I talk, I always talk about the ceiling when you look at the top players. Ricky, Paul, Calvin, uh, Simon's in there now, Eagle. Those guys, their ceilings are very, very high, but the difference between them and the rest is their floor isn't that much lower than their ceiling. So when they play really, really bad, it's still really good in comparison to the field. Then there are a lot of players that their ceilings are just as high as all those guys I just mentioned, but their floor is much, much lower. And that's where you're going to see uh, you know, them drop off or they have one bad round that just completely knocks them out of contention. Um, as we see more people get their floors closer and closer to their ceilings, that's where I think we're going to see uh, the craziness happen on tour. And we're slowly starting to see that a little bit. All right. Um, oh, we got our first request on Twitter spaces. Let's see what he has to say. We'll add him in here. We got Riley coming in. Maybe he wants to talk about uh, Robert Burridge. Maybe he's a big Robert Burridge fan. Riley, you a big Robert Burridge fan? What's what's the deal? Okay, I just had a question. Um, do you think Robert Burridge was the? You know how Lone Star was saying like, "Oh, wait for January, wait for January." Um, do you think that Robert Burridge was that January uh, big like leaking or not leaking? Uh, their signing. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I know they posed that. Um, did they do? I think they did that photo of like, guess what player threw this distance? Did they do that before or after he was announced? Do you know? I'm trying to remember. I think they did that before they announced. Okay, so, so that that say, uh, that was probably him so then. To, yeah, I also wanted to say uh, thank you. You sent a uh, cameo to me and my boys at Queen City Discs. Oh, heck yeah, yeah. 
I loved it so much. Thank yeah. you so much for that. Yeah, of course, I was brother. I just wonder about the Robert Burge thing, too. Yeah. No. I was like, is this their big signing or maybe somebody else coming or... You know, I think uh, I haven't mentioned it. Lisa Fakus also just recently signed with them. Um, she, I mean, you don't have to go that far back. She was a few strokes away from winning worlds. I mean, she she went from having a birdie putt on hole 16 at worlds final day, had a birdie putt. I believe she ended up four putting to take a double and kind of knocked her out of contention there. But if she makes that 25 footer for birdie, I think she's like one or two shots back with two holes to go. And those last two holes at worlds at the fort, who knows what could happen. So, you know, someone that was right in contention for being a world champion, I think that's a big pickup to them. Um, I don't know to the casual fan, if they really look at Lisa Fakus as like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they got her. But in the FPO side, like, She's a player for sure. I think Robert Burridge has a lot of upside as well. Um, I don't. I, I would be. I would be shocked at this point if they if they picked up anyone along the caliber of uh, Nico and Emerson. Um, but you never know. You know. I think. I think these next few weeks is kind of the time where you will see the announcements. I don't. I don't think. You, I don't think late January we're going to be getting any announcements. So um, I, I think it should be pretty close. Okay, sweet. Thank you. For yeah, yeah. My question. Also, Simon's not MVP. Huge MVP fan here. Oh, you think he's going? Oh, I love it. I'm, I'm hopping on it. All right. Happens, I love it. All right, we'll see. All right, thanks for calling in. Thank you. Yeah. All right, first speaker. That was actually a good call in. Our first speaker, good call in. Appreciate that. All right. Let's keep going down the list. Um, a few more people. Uh, like I said, Lisa Fakus to Lone Star. And then um, another one that just got announced, we have James Proctor to TSA. Another another pickup for TSA. Thoughts, I'm pretty sure it's Thought Space. What's the A for? Thought Space Academy? That doesn't sound right. Thought Space uh, I'm I'm blanking on what the A is, but that that's a big pickup um, because again you're you're getting a player that oh athletics thought thought space athletics thank you um, you're getting a player that not only has major ties to the Northwest where he's from uh, I think he's actually in California the West Coast uh, major ties over on the West Coast but you're also getting someone that I don't know if you'll be doing a full tour. I didn't see, I'm trying to remember in the post if he said he's going to be doing full tour or not. Um, but he is someone that can literally compete at any tournament. Woods, open, doesn't matter. The dude can ball out at any tournament. So it, that's a great pickup, whether he does full tour or just bounces to six or seven kind of events like he has been doing in the past. That's another big pickup for them. Um, and then the last one we have here, which was fairly recent, we have Dustin Keegan leaving uh, Dismania to focus on Uplay. Now, for those that don't know, Uplay is the organization that him and Zoe created that essentially gets into schools to help teach disc golf, to help 
um, give coaches, teachers, the um, equipment, the uh, rules, the uh, infrastructure, if you will, to help s- expand disc golf at that level. Um, it's something that I have yet to be a part of, which is a bummer. I definitely want to uh, be able to go to maybe a couple of those. Uh, I need to re- reach out to Dustin and let him know that I am interested um, to, to helping out because that was one of my favorite things when it came to ultimate Frisbee was teaching and not just teaching to, you know, the college kids and the club players and masters and stuff, but going in and teaching to brand new young, never thrown a Frisbee before kids and schools and just seeing how excited they can get about throwing a Frisbee. So uh, I, I'm I'm definitely going to try to get involved in 2023 with you play. If you haven't, definitely check it out. It's a cool, awesome organization. Um, and Dustin has decided that he's probably going to be focusing more on that side of um, disc golf rather than playing. Um, all right. The only other things as far as players I have, uh, if you have Josh, I have two info on two players moves. Probably not cool to reveal here, right? Josh, come over on the Twitter spaces, brother. Twi- uh, the link is at the top. I have it pinned at the top. Come over on Twitter spaces. We'll have you on. You can you can talk over on Twitter spaces um, as well. All right. The last thing I was going to say. Uh, oh, I got a couple more things. Hold on. We got Dusty here. We'll see what Dusty has to say real quick. And then I've got a few more, a few more player movements to talk about what up yeah so also did want to mention uh i don't know i, I don't know if you forgot these but also clash disc signed a bunch of people. yeah yeah that's what i was literally just about to get into oh, okay cool sorry no no you're good you're good no you're good you're good no you're good you're good um okay so clash disc just made a post these are the people that they have on here they have eric oakley and clash is also like a um Clash is uh, what's the word for it? They're they're similar to, they're similar, they're they're similar, I guess, to a thought. Yeah, they're similar to like a thought space. They're 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 going to be more like your open bag, uh, type of sponsorship because they only have a handful of um discs. I'm gonna mute you real quick, Dust. Hold on one sec. They only have a handful of discs, so if you end up signing with Clash or I believe Lone Star, actually. I think most of Lone Star players might be only throwing Lone Star. But Clash, Infinite, um, Mint, some of the smaller manufacturers that only have a handful of discs that you can choose from, they realize this. So they're more like an open bag where they realize like, okay, you only have to throw two or three of our discs and then you can throw others. Uh, It was actually interesting. Clash was the first, I want to say the first company that reached out to me in the off season, um, about sponsoring me. Um, but it, 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 it didn't work out. So these are the players that they have though, going into the 2023 season. You have Eric Oakley, James Proctor, Erica Stinchcomb, Scott Withers, Evan Smith, and Jacob Curtis. I don't know these players at the bottom. If they're like not as important, that's why they're smaller. Gillis Dougal and Mia Miller never heard of them not sure if that's like they're not as important so we're not going to make their name as big and uh bold but 
there you have that. Um, all right. And then we've got the other players we've got leaving. We've got Val and Mason both leaving Dynamic Discs. They just made their, their posts. Um, Hunter was correct in his Holland Hanley prediction about leaving Dynamic Discs. Interesting thing about this, she posted her Instagram post basically saying like, hey, I'm out. Deuces. Thanks so much, Dynamic. Ended up deleting it and then posting it a few hours later, I want to say. I did ask someone that was like kind of keeping their eyeballs on it to see like, was there anything in the text that was changed or anything? Nothing was changed. So I don't know if she has prematurely posted it and dynamic was like, we're not ready. Take that down. I don't, not sure what happened there. A little strange. Um, but that's all the player movement that I have. Uh, does anyone from Twitter spaces want to talk about player movement before I move on to some of the other topics we have? I want to talk about some player movement. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Why are you trolling everybody, bro? What are you talking about? You're just trolling everybody on Instagram with your representing six different disc companies in your post. I haven't I haven't done anything. I have not done anything. You've, you've done nothing. Huh? I was testing out new discs. That's all I was doing. Okay. It seems to me like there was a little bit of trolling going on. Uh, announcements will be coming soon. That's all I can say. Announcements. Announcements will be coming soon. I can't do it. I can't do it. I was talking to Hunter and Trevor about potentially uh, doing it, maybe like trying to figure out how to do it on debate night. Um, but uh, Penn has not hit paper yet. So I'm still in limbo, man, right now. You could. I had to try. You know, everybody here knew that I had to try. So, oh, trust me. When I can, when I can be firm in saying it, I, I will be the first one to. I feel you. Yeah. I, which, which actually brings me to a question I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Uh, this is not the ninja and answer out of you, by the way. I swear. No, you're fine. Um, but ha have you not found it interesting how much more viable the open bag system has become for players? Because I remember not that long ago, and maybe you weren't playing then, so you didn't realize it, but if you were an open bag player back in the day, it was kind of a negative rep because it usually meant you didn't have a sponsor at all. Mm -hmm. You were just kind of out there on your own, uh, relying on winnings and you know maybe a retail sponsor or, or a bag sponsor, something like that. That's pretty much all you had. But now, I mean, you're seeing certain people, like I want to use Eric Oakley as probably the biggest example of this, because Eric... He's a really good player, but he obviously didn't have the strongest here. I think he's like top 75 in the Utah World rankings. Really, really cool dude, though. Really charismatic, good personality. This guy, you know, started out with just infinite disc and thought space athletics, probably gets some kind of small salary from them, plus a bunch of different disc runs. He even got his own mold with infinite disc called the Dynasty. Um, but then he's also done special runs of like the Berg with Castaplast, the Zone with Discraft. Uh, he did the Katare with RPM Disc, a smaller company. He did Ju Justice with Dynamic Disc, his old sponsor. Then he just released another new mold with Clash Disc called the Spice. So this guy's out here hustling, partnered with probably like four or five different disc manufacturers at this point, and stacking them all together. Drew Gibson does something similar with Infinite, his own line, Finish Line, and then mm -hmm. Seven. And, and, and like you're starting to see a lot of people really figure this out like james proctor's about to do the same exact thing with thought space and clash he, uh yeah so what, what do you think about this whole 
evolution of the open bag becoming more and more viable and people finding ways to like kind of hustle and make that work rather than relying on one manufacturer. So this is where I, I always thought this was like, this is where disc golf was going to be headed in the sponsorship game of where let's just say your number is a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. If you, am I back? Can you guys hear me? Hello. Sorry. I said my connection was lost. So, okay. I'm back. Okay. So let's say your, your number was a hundred thousand dollars. If you want me to only throw your disc, it's going to be at a premium of a hundred thousand dollars. Right. But if I can throw this disc and I can for my putter, and then I have these discs for my, um, mid ranges and then I have these discs for my drivers it probably is going to be less than that $100,000 right because a manufacturer be be willing to pay more of a premium to have you completely decked out than then you know again let's just say that like then someone then you finding someone to give you $25,000 for drivers $25,000 for fairways, $25,000 for mids, $25,000 for putters. It's going to be much harder for you to find four manufacturers willing to spend $25,000 on each one of those than someone for a hundred thousand on them. So you're probably going to have someone give you $10,000 for putter and $13,000 for mid ranges and $12,000. You see what I'm saying? So you get a premium. You should, you should, this is how it should work. You should get a premium if you're like, you know what, I'm going to be all this company, that should cost more than the sum of its parts, right? Right. Now, I think that is where we're headed. I think there is going to be a time where you have a company like a dynamic disc, let's say, that has the, the judge. And they're like, we really want Brody to putt with the judge. How can we get that to happen? And they might reach out to me and say, we will give you $100,000 to putt with the judge next year, right? And then at that point, you take that back to your main sponsor and you say, hey, I got someone willing to give me $100,000 to use th- this putter. W- what is, your numbers aren't really adding up anymore, right? And so you can go that way. I think maybe that's what's happening. I will say that's probably what's happening with most of these players because outside of Drew Gibson of these players, there hasn't been someone that is doing the open bag route. That is someone that moves a ton of plastic from what I have gathered. Now I could be completely wrong. Eric Oakley could be making $500,000 a year with the likes of infinite clash. And is he just infinite in clash right now? He's infinite clash and thought space and thought space. Okay. So he might be making $500,000. I have no idea. Um, All I can kind of, I mean, I can kind of get a good idea with like, with, uh, you know, me owning a retailer has really allowed me to kind of get an idea of like who moves this and who doesn't move this. Um, We've had pros ourselves that we sponsored and we kind of see how they move this. And then obviously we have tour series this from pros on all different manufacturers. So we can kind of get an idea of like, okay, this person. And again, obviously we're not the biggest retailer out there, but we can still kind of get an idea of like, 
okay, this person at Innovest sold 100 tour series discs in the first month, and this player over here sold three. So it's like that gives us an idea of who moves this and who doesn't. Right now, obviously, it's scaled differently because we're not going to get, you know, we're we're obviously a much more disc craft heavy uh, retailer. Like most of the people that come to Foundation buy disc craft. But that isn't necessarily like going to stay that way all the time. But what I'm trying to say is I I haven't seen from anyone to where like Clash, Thought Space, Infinite are like giving people these deals. Now, sorry, let me say this. They're not giving them deals that are better than the top player deals at manufacturers. Sure. But they are probably those three, you know, if you take a 50, 50th player in the world and you have them sign with Clash, Infinite, and Thought Space, they probably will make more money than if they were just signed with Prodigy. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Ganon Burr, for example, is going to get, as of right now, there's no way he's going to make as much money with Clash, Thought Space, and Infinite as he would with a major manufacturer. Right. It definitely comes down to the player, I think, right? Like, you're, like for example, if you're a Paul McBeth, you're not in the top a million dollars a year going to an open bag um, or something along those lines when you're trying to go to this open bag system. Because right now, the only way the open bag system works is you have to work with a select few companies. Like, if you're working with a major manufacturer like let's say Innova or, or well, that's, the Trilogy brands, they're not going to let you. But that's where I think the future is. That's where I think the future. I just fu- don't see it happening. I think I that's the future. Dynamic being cool with one of their players throwing a butter for a different brand because they're confident in their own butters. Well, uh, the, the thing is, though, is like at a certain point, if that, if that just, if it starts going that route, right, at a certain point, players are going to say, I'm getting more money I can go out and get more money individually than what you're offering me for a total. So I'm going to go out and get more money individually. And what's going to end up happening is what you just said, dynamic disc, right? If dynamic disc is not willing to say, okay, well, we're willing to pay you even more to keep you only dynamic. They're going to have to make the decision of, do we just completely lose that player? Or do we say, okay, well, let's at least keep, having drivers in your bag that's what i'm saying is i think that's what's going to eventually get to the point of where takes a special kind of player i think that takes a special kind of player to do that with someone that you know has a massive brand uh sure plastic like so so for example and again this is not me trying to ninja anything out of you if you take someone like yourself who has a massive social media presence you know massive personality whether you want to call it polarizing or not it doesn't matter the point is is you have proven you can move plastic and you have a big brand you are one of those types of people that probably could, in theory, hustle if you're willing to a bunch of different brands and make more money that way than you would make on a single manufacturer. And that's the same thing with Eric Oakley. You know, Eric was a guy who wasn't probably a big enough name to get like a massive salary from one manufacturer, but he is social media savvy enough and charismatic enough to where he's been able to hustle with all these different special runs he's done with all these different manufacturers to make up for it that way, right? So I think it takes a special kind of player to do what you're talking about. Yeah, and I just think as the tour continues to develop, and uh, I actually just got a haircut today. I don't know what that means. 
I, I think I have to trim the beard, but I did just get a haircut. Um, I think what you're talking about, though, exists as coverage gets more expansive and as players that, like, perfect example, a Robert Burridge that doesn't have a massive social media, he will benefit greatly when the Pro Tour gets more expansive in their coverage because he'll be on more coverage versus just the couple tournaments that he you know he he uh, balls out of. But you know this is this is very interesting. I I do think I know I know you don't think this, but I do think next I don't know if I want to say five. Let's go seven. Next seven years, I think you will start seeing some of the big players, not you know not the retailers, not the the the, the manufacturers that only have a handful of discs. Some of the big players that have full lineups, I think you will see um, one, two, I don't know how many players, but I think you will see the first ever mixed bag amongst um, big, big manufacturers. I think you will because it, the money is just getting start getting too high of where th- they're just not going to be able to pay out that many people, but they still want you to throw something of theirs. And so I think they're willing to say like, all right, we'll just – throw our putter, throw our drivers, throw our mids, um, and then you can go out and get something else. So, all right, I'm going to get Cade in here. Or no, sorry, Mike. Let's get Mike in here real quick. Mike, you can unmute yourself. What's up, brother? How you doing, Brody? Hey, man, big fan of this platform. I think it's great. I just wanted to talk about Brad Williams, Bradley Williams, just for a quick second. Yeah. And, you know, you look at him. He's 21 ranked uh, in the world. The top 20 guys in front of him are all household names that we know, but it seems like Bradley's not, he's not that household name yet, but he's got all the stats behind it. I mean, the guys, and I'm, I'm not a fanboy. I'm, I'm predicating by saying that I'm just an enthusiast of disc golf, but he's made, you know, over two, about 200 grand in his career up to this point, more than most of the guys in the top 10 and 15, actually. But you look at the 20 guys behind him from, from 20 to, to 50 even. Yeah. Most of us know those names way more than we know him. So I feel like either he's on the verge of, of you know, he had a great win at the Preserve last year. That's a tough course. Kale LaVisca's course is super hard. So mm-hmm. shooting 1066 rated golf there is, is not easy to do, obviously. But do you see him and if he continues on his trajectory in the next one, two, three years, can he be a a household name and more importantly can his discs stock in the side of a pro shop and people go buy them see this is where this is where the one thing about disc golf i do not like is i don't think i don't i don't want disc golf to always be about people buying discs with your name on it your face on it now obviously you you know you are going to have people do that that support you you know, I'm, I'll be the first one to say that I am forever grateful for all the support, support I get from everyone listening that buy my discs and help support me that way. But I really don't want that to, con- I mean, it, it, it just can't, it can't, it cannot like that cannot be the future of disc golf because what you just said, like what happens when there's 50 household names, what happens when there's 60, 70 household names and now you go into a store and there's, you know, eight of the same discs that all have different players' names. Like it, it, the growth is just like impossible to grow that way, right? So like what I, what I would rather have is 
instead of Bradley Williams having his name on the Nova, let's say, or his face on the Nova, and you're having people, you know, try to buy his disc and he's trying to get people to buy his disc, his specific disc. Like, I'd rather you just watch him play and see how well he throws the Nova. And because he throws it so well and you like the way it flies and all that, you go out and you buy it. Like, to me, that is the power of these pros is being able to throw these discs and get you interested in going out and trying new discs and not necessarily looking at it through that lens, you know, going back in, in the day of disc golf, you know, Casey, Ken Climos, Casey Pro was really the only name out there on disc. So going from, you know, Casey branded discs to today, you know, you're right. You walk into a pro shop, you're going to see 30 discs with 30 different names on them. But, uh, you know, and, and calling you out for a second. So when we go to, a, you know, I'm from the Illinois area. You were at Delwood uh, for a tournament. Love that course. lined up to take a, take a picture with you. You know, Calvin was there. There's people lined up to take a picture with, with him. And, and then I guess that's my question is maybe, it, maybe it's not the disc question of people running in the shop to grab a Bradley Williams Nova, but... You know, what does this guy have to do outside of finishing top 10 in elite series events? So when he does come to a course, people aren't saying, hey, that's Bradley Williams over there. Instead of saying, hey, dude, I got to go there and take a picture of this guy because, you know, I'm just a fan of the game and I, and I love it. It's I, I, I wish the best for him and I want to see that. But to your point, what does he have to do to grow to that level in the next two years? Because I feel like he's on the trajectory, right? Yeah. This, uh, is the sound not good for you two people? Hold on one second. I just want to make sure. Hopefully, it sounds not bad for you. For YouTube, how how is how's the sound for when people call in? I did notice, Brody, when I was talking, uh, listening to you on YouTube, it is a little, 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 little quieter, a little harder to hear. Oh, do I need? Okay, so maybe I just need to hold my phone up closer. You hold your phone closer to the mic. Oh, I need it. You know what I need to do? I need to put it this way because the way I have my mic set up, that's my bad, guys. I have it set up. Okay, here we go. This is gonna be bad. Here, t- talk now. Are you there? Can you hear me? I think this is gonna be better. I my mic was set up to where like the audio is not coming. Yeah, this is gonna be better. Sorry about that, guys. Okay. Um, what does he have to do? Okay, let me go and talk a little bit about ultimate frisbee real quick and go back and talk about something that I completely disagreed with how the USA Ultimate. Um, was moving forward. USA Ultimate was essentially the PDGA of Ultimate Frisbee. And when it came to who they were going to put in magazines, who they were going to put in videos, who they were going to promote, they were like handpicking their poster childs of like who played the game they thought the right way. And they weren't picking like fan favorites essentially, right? And you don't see that in really any other sporting event, right? You don't see that in the NBA. You don't see that in the NFL. Like those people, like those sporting people realize who players like, who who fans like, and those are the ones that are in everything, right? And you see the same thing in disc golf right now. I think disc golf is doing the right thing with the Pro Tour and the PDGA of where, they're seeing who moves the needle and they're using those people to continue to push disc golf. I don't think it makes any sense for the PGA to be like, Oh, there's this, 
guy that's ranked 78th in the world. No one really knows about him, but he's an awesome person. We really like how he plays. We're going to put him in the next commercial. Like that's, that's, that's not going to work. Like you need to be putting the people that people care about the most. Now, when you're asking, how do you make people care about you? That that's, that's the toughest question in the world because you can go two ways about it. Okay. You can go the first way, which is the easiest way, which is simply be yourself. And if people can relate to you and people can find something in you that they, they enjoy watching you play or they join listening to you talk, or they enjoy your videos, or whatever it is, that's awesome. Um, the problem with that way of just being yourself is sometimes people are boring. Some people, sometimes people are just not entertaining, and sometimes there are just people that uh, don't suit your fancy. And I'm sure there are podcasts, this one included, that people would be caught dead listening to, right? You'd be like, I would never tune into debate night. I would never tune into the Ben Shapiro show. I would never tune into call her daddy, uh, whatever, right? We just keep going down the list. The thing is though, is there are going to be some people that just gravitate and be able to bring in more people for whatever reason. I don't understand it, but for whatever reason, some people are just going to be more popular. People are going to like them more. Uh, or like listening to them. But the other way that you can go around about it, which I think is the much harder way, is you can go like the WWE method, right? Where you become a character. You become someone that you're not. And that opens up the door for you to becoming a lot more entertaining, if you will. But the problem with that is you are not yourself. And this is something that's very common in, obviously, it's everything in WWE. If you meet any of those people in real life and they're out of character, you're going to be like, that's not the pro wrestler that I thought you were. And a lot of this also is YouTubers. If you meet a YouTuber in real life, a lot of them, you'll be like, what the heck? You're nothing like you are on YouTube. And a lot of times it's because they are playing characters. They are um, acting like someone that they're not. Now, the easiest way, and this is like what I do essentially, is I do the first way because one, I'm a terrible actor. Two, I don't want to live my life like that. And three, I just like saying what's on my mind. But what I do is like everything is elevated, right? So if you hang out with me for a full day, not everything is incredible and energized and amazing. And oh my gosh, there are some just mundane things that I'm just walk through mundanely. But when I'm in front of the camera, when I'm on Instagram, when I'm on YouTube, when I'm on this podcast, I try to elevate my energy. So I'm not really necessarily turning into a character, but you're seeing me at like a, a an elevated um, level. Now, I would say that maybe be helpful for Bradley is where if he gets interviewed or he's in a press conference or something like that, maybe he goes to an elevated level of himself because again, like the becoming a character, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, but at the end of the day, there are people like, gosh, I mean, there are some NFL quarterbacks that, I mean, you're an NFL quarterback. There's what, 32 teams in the NFL. There are some NFL quarterbacks that people are just like, I, eh, I've got nothing for that person. Could care less about that person. Right. So it's, it's tough to say, what someone should and shouldn't do to get a bigger fan base. 
because at the end of the day, I think the the easiest and the best thing that you can do is just be yourself. Because when you start acting like someone else and you start saying, you, you know, you start keeping your Twitter and your Instagram to like say certain things that, you know, people eat up and stuff like that. Like that's just a bunch of BS. And, um, you know, it works like it, it can fool people and it fools people all the time. Um, but that's just a life you have to, I mean, that's a life that you have to decide to live. So. Yeah, and I'll and I'll leave it with this because I'm I'm taking up too much time, and I appreciate you you even let me speak on here. And you're right about the part with the personality. You know, we look at we look at Paul plays six time world champ. We look at we watch Ricky because we want to see him beat Paul. Well, some of us do. You know, we look at Calvin because he's got his dry sense of humor and he messes with people. We look at you. You came onto the sport as an ultimate frisbee player, and we were all all of us watching what you were going to do when you got here, and how is this guy? going to get a thousand rated and, and we all watched that part of it and you did that so each of these players have their personality that let, lets them you know you look at Matty O and he's this calm cool collected guy and his glasses fly off his head every time he throws everybody kind of has their personality that that draws people to them so maybe that's what he needs he needs to figure out where he can settle in and, and you know develop that fan base but hey I appreciate you Brody keep up this great work and uh, a big fan of yours yeah no problem thanks for calling in and yeah, I mean, I, I I wouldn't say that he doesn't have a fan base. I I think, I think he, um, you know, I think I think a lot of people are fans of Bradley Williams. I just think it's you know at the end of the day, um, there's only so much you can do, and and winning solves everything. Like that's the thing is like winning solves everything. You can be the most basic, boring personality in the world, but if you're out there winning, people are going to tune in. People are going to root for you. People are going to root against you. Um, all right, Cade, I think you're up next. Hey, Brody. What's going on, brother? So I was going to call in and talk about, like, all the player movement we've been seeing, like, this year and last year. Um, so what I've been noticing is, like, a bunch of these mid-level players, like mid-level tour players, I should clarify, are staying relevant, I feel like, by switching companies every few years. Yep. And what I was going to ask you is, like, can the mid-level player stay relevant without switching companies? And is it easier to stay relevant by switching companies and like switching out some new tour discs? Like say you move from DD to Innova and now your new tour disc is the destroyer or whatever you want to have your tour disc be. So like switching that tour disc for your fan base to buy that new tour disc, or is it easier to build themselves up? over time with one company. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. That's a great question. Yeah. I think two things play into play into it. You've got, you know, the fans that will support, you know, wherever you go. Right. So no matter what manufacturer you go to, you're going to have those fans go with you and support you over there. And you're going to probably have a lot of them be like, I've never thrown this disc, but now that you're throwing it, I'm going to try it out. The other thing that plays a huge role is, you have a lot of people that are very, very um, loyal to the actual manufacturer, not players, but the manufacturer. So you might have some people that you have to win over um, because they're more interested in the manufacturer, not the people that are throwing it. So being able to win those player, uh, th those fans of the manufacturer over to end up supporting you um, and in this case, what you're saying, buying discs with your names on it and whatever, that's going to be a challenge. Um, but you're right. I think if you are a mid-level player, I think 
if you've been with a company, let's say for a year, two, three years, something like that, and you haven't really seen any growth in that manuf- that that sponsorship that you have with them, you're basically just signing the same deal year after year, and you feel like you could do better, and they're not willing it to do better, then you probably are more likely to make more money if you bounced and you moved to another company, and all of a sudden now you're a bright, shiny new toy. People are talking about you. The only thing I would say with that, and again, we're talking about kind of the mid-level players that aren't necessarily really moving up the board. The only thing I would say with that is after a certain amount of movement, I think it gets weaker and weaker versus if you can stay with a sponsor and you can both grow, uh, I think that's more valuable probably than moving. But that requires not just the pro, but also the sponsor to both put effort into it. Because if you do have like a sponsorship where they're just like, hey, you're just going to throw our disc and sell a bunch of discs for us, but we're not really going to do anything for you outside of just pay you. And I, I don't see that as being super helpful for you going down the line. Yeah, I agree. So one player that comes to mind that, like I was thinking about is like a Mason Ford type player. So last year he's with Innova this past year, he's with DD and now we're about to see where he's going to be for the 2023 season. Yeah. So if he would have stayed with Innova, like throughout this entire time, do you think he would have been more successful, like financially tour series discs wise than he has by now three companies in three years and who knows what his future holds now? I, I think with Innova, no, because with Innova, they are really someone that it's like you kind of like if you can go out and do your own thing, then you can crush it at Innova. But if you are in need of a little bit more support, then I think it's much harder to do that at Innova because they don't necessarily like promote and blast people out as much as some other manufacturers out there, but they have the name, right? They have that backing of being the first, the one that, everyone talks about initially kind of. So with Mason, I don't know. I don't think necessarily he would have been better off staying with Innova because I still think he would have just been kind of under all the, you know, he would have so many people still ahead of him at Innova um, that I don't really see him really gaining much by staying there. And I don't really, I don't really see them offering him more money uh, in year two and in year three, I think he would have just probably been offered the same contract, and that's yeah, probably why he honestly that. left. Quite yeah, frankly, I agree with that. Innova. and that's probably why he left Dynamic too, is they probably wanted to sign him for the same contract, and he was like, "Again, yeah. I would love yeah. to have these players reach out and tell me what's up. Come on the show. Uh, I know I." I did my best to like invite people to come on this Twitter space because I thought it would be cool to have some players jump on here. Uh, I guess I'm not cool enough to have players want to come on here and talk to me. So that's a little sad, but it is what it is. So a lot of this stuff, we just have to, we just have to put up the speculation of like why players are doing it because on socials, you don't really hear much of anything. And uh, I can't get anyone to come on here to talk to me. So sad days. Um, yeah. All right. 
I'm going to keep moving on here. We got some other topics. Yeah, of course. Um, we've got some other topics. I'm going to bounce you guys real quick. And then we'll have, if you have, if you're on the Twitter spaces and you have uh, something you want to talk about for some of these new topics coming up, just request and I'll throw you on there and we can talk about it. But we're going to keep moving forward here. We got some more stuff here that we need to talk. All right, here we go. Um, let's talk about the PDGA player of the year. They had the huge debacle a couple years ago with, oh wait, did I never get anything from KJ? Hold on. Sorry. I might, I might have blundered. KJ, did I, did I get you or did I bounce you before you got to the talk? I can't remember. Hello, KJ, you there? All right. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I thought KJ, I thought we were just talking to KJ, but we might've been talking to Cade. I don't know. We'll see if he requests again. Um, okay. Two years ago, you had, or was it two years, three years? Uh, might've been three years ago. You had the fiasco with Paige Pierce and Katrina Allen. They gave the player of the year to Katrina Allen and Paige had a way more dominant season on the pro tour. But because of the what the PDGA does with player of the year, they take into account like A tier events. They take into account like all this other stuff to where if all your if only uh, if you're only paying attention to the pro tour, which I would say most fans, that's what you're paying attention to. You're not paying attention to uh, you know a pro playing an A tier in an off week. You're not. So. When Katrina got announced as player of the year, everyone was like, what the heck? Why didn't Paige get it? And I believe they did some weird thing where they're like, oh, we're just going to give it to both of them. Whatever. This year, they gave player of the year to Paige Pierce and they gave player of the year to Paul Macbeth. Now, on the MPO side, we, you know, we debated this and we went back and forth on who had the best season. You know, I think Ricky winning four times, again, I understand majors are a little bit more elevated and and, and they're a little bit more elevated simply for, well, I should say Champions Cup, USDGC, and Worlds last year was an elevated field, uh, not field, sorry, an elevated um, tournament because you just, everyone knew the pressure going into it. But the fields at those tournaments were very equivalent to a lot of the pro tour events that we played. The, now the major over in Europe, the European Open, that field was much much weaker than a lot of even the elite events that we played over here. So I get why some people are like, "Well, Paul won a major; that means more than Ricky winning four times." I don't know. I, I still think right now, just winning an elite event is very difficult. Obviously winning a major is difficult. I'm not taking that away. Obviously winning worlds, all that very difficult. My point being though, is like when you look at the actual field of who you have to beat, it's very equivalent from a disc golf pro tour event and worlds and a disc golf pro tour event and USCGC. There's not much difference in the strength of fields there. The only difference is you're going in knowing this is for a major. This is a huge deal. Now, the Paul one, I'm fine. You could go Paul. You could go Ricky. Uh, those two clearly had 
uh, better seasons than everyone else. But those two, you could you can go back and forth, whatever. Um, Simon also honorable mention as well. I think some people knock Simon down a little pegs just because he had some tournaments that he didn't play as well. Um, where Paul and Ricky really didn't have any off tournaments last year. They pretty much played pretty solid at most of them. The Paige Pierce one, that I mean, that one is the one where it's like if the PDJ wants they need to come up with a new name. Do not say player of the year. Come up with PDGA points winner or or something. Because when you say when you say player of the year, it's you it, player of the year is the best player of that year. I mean, that's what it is. Best player of the year. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. And it, everyone knows Kristen Tatar was the best female player last year. There's no question. Like it, there, there's no debate. It's not, it wasn't close. And when you give it to someone other than Kristen, it just makes, it just makes it look worse. It, it makes it, it makes it look like a made up, a made up thing. Um, oh, we got Phil here. Let's get Phil in here. Let's see what Phil has to say. Phil, you got something to say about Player of the Year? Oh, he's muted himself. Yeah. No. I'm, how's, how's it going, guys? I was for, just, uh, yeah. Go for it. Just, just bringing up some stats. Paul played 27 events. He finished fourth place. Um, or he finished four of them outside of the top 10. Okay. Ricky played 20 events. He finished six of them outside of the top 10. So that's that's something factored into it. His his dominant performance, regardless of the strength of the field, I completely agree with you in Europe. Um, but what him and Eagle did, uh, uh, besting the field by that many strokes, yep. was, was pretty incredible. You know, everyone was still there. Calvin Heimberg, there was still big names there. Um, I do agree that that field is definitely not as strong um, pound for pound, but it does have some of the top tier guys there. But for sure. But yeah, so so just going by those alone, I think it's pretty a pretty good. I, I do think the PGA male side was was on point. Just when it when I, when you're really looking at the stats, but I I do I was very very surprised by uh, the female FPO division with uh, Kristen or with page over Kristen. So this is where, this is one thing where I think, it, you know, a lot of people have differing opinions on this, right? You value like what you just brought up was like how many outside of the top tens they had, right? Where there, there, there are going to be some people on the other side of the table. That's like, you know what, if you, you know, look at someone like Simon, if you win four times on tour and you miss the cut four times, right? You're doing cash four times. Like that season is better than someone that wins one time and finishes top 10 every single time. Because to that person winning, you know, the the, winning the actual tournament has such a greater value than your average finish. And that that's how I view it as well. Now, obviously I'm in the boat a lot of times where, you know, I, I'm kind of like, oh, I got I got 12th over here and I got 14th over here. I'm doing a good job. Uh, but I realize like at the end of the day, most people, do. did you win or not? And that's what they care about. And if you're getting top fives and top tens, great. 
that's awesome. But if someone is able to win a couple times on tour versus you just consistently put, consistently putting yourself in top tens but never winning, to me, someone that is winning multiple times had a better season than someone that just got a bunch of top tens. That's how I view it. Um, and that's that's kind of the argument that I would have when someone's like asking me like who had a better season. Um, because I, I don't think I, and again, the way disc golf is headed, I think you're going to see more ups and downs from players. It's not going, you're not going to see players consistently finish in the top 10 like they have. Um, and I go back to, and what I go back to is when I first got into disc golf, Paul had a bet with Trevor that he would not finish outside the top three all season. And I believe that bet ended after the second tournament of the season. Are you there? Yeah, that's an incredible. Uh, mm. Because because in the years past, in years past, like I, you know, if I was a betting man and I knew about disc golf five years ago, or not five years ago, it would be what eight years ago, I guess now. Eight years ago, I would bet a lot of money that Paul and Ricky would finish in the top five every single tournament. You can't do that now, right? Yeah, I, and so I that's why I'm just saying, like, to... as we go on, it's hard because, again, you got to think about this too because we talked a little bit about the European Open, right, about how far ahead those guys were than everyone else. You got to think there are a lot of tournaments where one or two shots can literally move you from a top five to a top 20. Because you have more people now. And this the easiest way of me thinking about this is like just where I finish. Like where I, my level of play at the European Open was not, where I finished was not equivalent to my level of play. If that was a disc golf pro tour event and everyone was there, I would have probably jumped down another 15 or 20 spots. But because the, the field strength at the European Open was, was what it was, my score, there wasn't just that many people at the top of the leaderboard. So that's the other thing to think about is like these top 10s and stuff, like people dropping out of top 10s, like they might be out of the top 10 by one shot, by two shots. Like it's not like, it's not like they're missing cash, right? And when you have better and better players filling out these fields, the top of the fields are going to get more clumped, more clumped, more clumped, where the winner's at 22 under and 20th place is at 18 under, right? So that's just something to kind of think about moving forward. Right. So do you think anyone will ever win a Grand Slam again like Paul? So Paul Paul did in 2015. He only finished – his worst finish was third place all season. Yeah, and that's why he was super confident – and making that bet with Trevor because he was under the impression that he was going to do that again, that he was only, he was going to get third place. And I think that was the year that he actually missed cash at um, dynamic disc. So it's like, I, I think now he would never make that bet. I don't think Ricky would make that bet. I don't think Calvin would make that bet. I don't think Eagle, I don't think anyone would make that bet. Um, because something that I actually was going to go into and maybe now is a good time to go into it is they uh someone did 
I don't know if you saw this, but someone did like um, a breakdown of who was featured on the lead cards uh, from 2021 to 2022. I think and, it was Andrew Presno. And it was actually pretty fascinating to see. Oh, Presno did this? No, no, no. This is something I know what you're talking about. This was, he was talking about feature cards and, and who gets on feature cards. This is simply, uh, uh, lead cards, lead cards and final cards. So this is nothing to do with feature cards is nothing to do with sponsors, putting people on feature cards. This is literally round two and round three of three round events or round two, round three and round four, of uh, four round events. So in 2021, this is literally only a year difference too. So I, I, I foresee these numbers being different moving forward even more in 2021, you had Ricky Waisaki with the most featured at 12.8%. Then Eagle, 9.4%. Uh, Paul at 8.9%. Calvin at 7.8%. Adam Hammies at 6.1%. Dickerson at 5.6%. Kevin Jones at 5 Matty O at 3.9%. All others outside of them, 40%. In 2022, you had Macbeth at 7.7%. So that was in relation to 2021, that would have put him fifth on the list. Burr, 6.5. Heinberg, 6.5. Waisaki, 6. Lazat, 5.4. Isaac Robinson, 5.4. Dickerson, 4.2. Conrad, 4.2. Others, 54%. So you had 33 people in 2021 equating to 40% of the lead cards. 2022, you had 41 people at 54%. What the, and obviously this is a small thing, but what this is telling me, and this is what I've been saying from day one, is disc golf is still in a very, very young stage. You still have pros that are on the elite level for where disc golf competition is currently that have huge flaws in their game, that have huge holes in their game. As disc golf continues to grow, as money continues to come into disc golf, as people continue to put disc golf as the priority, you are going to see more and more and more top level talent across the board. And you're going to see more and more and more players that can get hot one week and make lead cards. And I think that's what that proved. You know, obviously it's a small sample size. It's only one year to one year, but I guarantee if you would go back to like 2018, and do 2018 versus that, what, like Ricky and Paul are going to be, what, 50% of that pie chart? 60% of that pie chart? So, so with that pie chart, what was the 2021 leader again, 12%? Uh, 2021 was 12.8%, Ricky. And then the leader in 2022? What was, was that? Paul, 77 It's interesting it went down so far with the, the field size. I mean, that's direct correlation. But at the same time, does that tell us right there at the 7.7 that maybe Paul was another staff that keeps it? Oh, down? sure, sure. Again, it's here's the thing. If you want to look at it of like who had the better overall season as far as um, average finish, who made more lead card, like there's a lot of stats that you can go and point at Paul. I think on the MPO side, the, the conversation between player of the year, I think can be made for Paul – can be made for Ricky. And really, there are probably some people out there that could try to make it for Simon as well. I think Ricky probably had an overall better season than Simon did. But 
I think either or those, I think it's just kind of semantics on like what you value more. Do you value more winning? Do you value more finishing place? Do you value more like they were in the hunt more? Like that's, to me, I value more winning. Like I would much rather have a season where I won on tour and had a bunch of missed cuts than my season last year where I had a couple top 10s, couple top 20s, couple missed caches. I'd much rather have a season where I missed cash a whole bunch of times and then sprinkle in a couple 10s, a couple top 20s, and then one win. I'd much rather have that season than uh, my season this year. Right. And, and the question is like, some people are going to view that as, oh, you had a much better season because you won this year. And some people are going to view it as you didn't like Bradley Williams. We talked about him a decent amount earlier. Um, He's a perfect example. I don't think Bradley Williams would be getting as much acknowledgement from him moving or sorry for him resigning to Innova. If he hadn't won preserve, if he would have not won preserve and just, you know, finished third there or fourth, his season probably would have been pretty under the radar, but the fact that he won, his name is now brought into the picture because he's a winner. He's in the winner's circle. So um, I think I think you have to value wins a little bit more than consistently being in the top 10 or top 20. Um, okay. Let me go on. Okay, so I think everyone's pretty much in agreement that the Paige Pierce thing, crazy. Um, and I think the PDJ needs to change the player of the year. Stop calling it the player of the year. Call it something different. It's not the player of the year. Um, um, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, alternatively, they could just alter how they do the system. Because their system is just antiquated based on a point system that goes back to before the Disc Golf Pro Tour is really a thing. And so really the yes. only way that you could try to measure a PGA player of the year when there is no set Pro Tour. Where everyone's playing same tournaments. Points. Yeah, Exactly. So I think it's more of that, A, we're just going to have to start valuing the, the DGPT player of the year more as a community, as we know that is the prime tour, and well, so therefore that holds more prestige over the PDGA award. But the other option is for the PDGA to simply alter their system, because when it comes to the whole page period for Chris Tatar, the reason why it happened the way that it did was, A, Tatar was injured, so she didn't play as many events as Paige did, yep. and B, Paige didn't play any events lower than an elite series. Whereas Tatar, I think played three A tiers that may have also been silver series events that she won. So it came down to a number of events and B the fact that Tatar played some smaller events than, and Paige just simply didn't everything she plays elite series. And I think Paige also played one additional major compared to Tatar because yeah. of the whole injury situation. Plus she won one of them, right? She won the European open. Yeah. Um, Paige, so, here's the thing. I, I'm not trashing Paige. Paige didn't have a bad season. Paige didn't have a bad season, not, but I know you're not yeah, no, no. I I want to make that. I just want to make that. Yeah. I, I want to make that apparent because I was this when when Paige lost to Katrina, I was doing the exact same exact thing, saying this is an like what is this? Like Paige definitely had a better season. Um, I guess this is where it's tricky to look at too. Is that uh, the Disc Golf Pro Tour is the official tour of the PDGA? So once they combine that and our contract is throughout the next couple of years, like Dustin was saying, they should kind of tweak how they determine these factors 
um, outside of, you know, what, once you partner as the Disc Golf Pro Tour being the, the premier tour of the PDGA, mm-hmm. that's when they should take in some more of those the topper accolades that these players yes. get out. Yeah, and I would say too, like right now, the only real difference between the Disc Golf Pro Tour like points winner, right, and the PGA Player of the Year would be the PGA Player of the Year adds in world, adds in the majors, right? So it's like, the whole disc golf pro tour season plus the majors player of the year. You're probably going to get roughly the same player. Most years I would guess with the points, it would be tough to win the disc golf pro tour points and not win player of the year, unless you just absolutely bomb in all the majors. Um, But that's something I guess moving forward that they can decide. I'm just saying, you know, it's kind of a joke award when, you know, they've messed it up drastically and again the paul it could go to paul it could go to ricky either one is well, fine but well, it went to paul in this situation because he played more events than ricky I mean, yeah which is which is so fine those additional points yeah which is completely fine the thing is is like regardless of whether page played more events or not like it it is very hard uh because kristen just won so much didn't finish outside the top three um I, she, I mean, she was on podium and like, I think another statistic too, is the, the fact that, I mean, pr- prior to Ricky coming in and winning the pro tour championships, um, Kristen won $103,000 this year and was the first yep. male or female ever to make that much in the sport. And Paige made 60,000. So she made $43,000 more than her. It, and it's it's very very interesting how how that how that all played out. So that that's such a memorable historical mark within our sport alone. So yeah, I and I think again, they need to just I, redo their point system. I mean, I think that's a consensus, right? Uh, that and I think too, this kind of will play itself out too a little bit more on the FPO side because again, the FPO side right now is extremely top heavy, right? So if if some of their top players go and have an off week, they can still get a top three. Like you can't tell me Kristen played like in her mind, she played great every single tournament. There were some tournaments where I guarantee she would say, I didn't really play that great. I kind of didn't have my a game. She still finished third, second, and maybe even won it. Um, You can't do that on the NPO side. And I think it's only a matter of time until the FPO side catches up to where, you have an off week and all of a sudden you look and you're like, holy cow, I might not even be cashing. So um, I think that also plays a huge role because players can just play in a lot of these tournaments and just kind of accumulate a bunch of points um, pretty easily. But we'll see kind of how that moves forward. Okay, a couple more topics I want to reach on real quick. Unless, uh, KJ, did you have something to say about this topic? Uh, you bounced me earlier. Oh yeah, saying, sorry. Yeah, no. Dustin, Dustin, Phil basically uh, said what needed to be said because I, I agree with them combining. Like once the Pro Tour and PGA officially like um, contracts wise and stuff like that, they just need to come up with like a like a voting panel, basically like a group of people that can constantly vote on, you know, who who is the player of the year and stuff. Because something like you know this season, obviously Kristen was the you know player of the year for the FPO side. Yeah. And and the thing, the thing that we have that other sports don't is like everyone plays everyone all the time. Like there isn't a real big European tour just yet. And 
we're seeing a lot of the big European players come over here. In other sports, like when you're trying to figure out who the MVP of the NFL is, well, you have players that are playing in different divisions and some divisions have weaker defenses. So you're like, well, this quarterback wouldn't do that if he was in this division. There's a lot more speculation. In disc golf, we're all playing the same tournaments. We're we're all playing the same courses. It's a lot harder to speculate who's better than who. There's a lot more statistics where you can just literally match people up and be like, this is what this person did. This is what this person did. And, and kind of look at it that way versus other sports when you're trying to figure out who the player of the year is. And I mean, same thing. Look at the NBA right now when you're asking who the best player in the NBA is. I mean, you can go Giannis, you can go Luca, you can go. Um, uh, I mean, some people are even saying Tatum. Like, you can go so many different routes in the NBA, but in disc golf, it's like it's. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. There's very, there's very few times where you're going to have three or four people where you're like, yeah, I could go to either one of them. So. Um, well, I have a question then. Do yeah. we think that we should just do away with these PDGA awards since the, the Pro Tour is now the official tour of the PDGA? Well, no, they can. Not just a redundancy that doesn't need to be there? No, I mean, I can. I mean, heck, I can start. So shouldn't the winners just line up every time? I mean, I can start giving out debate night awards, and that doesn't mean anything. Like, awards don't mean anything unless people actually care about them. Like, that's at the end of the day, awards mean nothing unless the fan base actually cares about them. So you look at something like the Heisman. The Heisman matters to so many people, uh, players and fans alike. If everyone just like, dude, the PGA starts giving out. What's that? Oh, I think so. Okay. If I'm correct, uh, Johnny Manziel won the Heisman over Derrick Henry. Uh, Can you clear that one up for me? Johnny Manziel was one of the most electric college football players of all time. Whoa, 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 whoa. But Derrick Henry is actually might be the GOAT of running backs. And Johnny Manziel is In college? Like, I'm saying, like, the Heisman definitely, like, it gives a status to college football. It definitely elevates. I'm not denying what you're saying. Yeah. I'm on your side in a way. But in terms of, like, the reputability and, like, maybe tied into what the future has to hold for these players – who win the Heisman Trophy well, doesn't like necessarily play out the way we see it in our eyes or in our scope or our lens. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's t- t- tons of people that have won the Heisman and have not panned out in the NFL. The college football and NFL is way different. I think one, one issue that the Heisman has is they love just kind of giving it or at least nominating players that are on like the best teams, like quarterbacks that are on – like Stetson Bennett, you can say what you want about him, should not have been invited to New York. Um, but you know, that's kind of like the fact that like defensive players in the past five, six years, having come close to sniffing a Heisman also is really, really hard. It is very much a quarterback top play, you know, top team quarterback thing. But my point being is like, they still are giving it out and fans care about it and players care about it. If the PDGA continues to give out these player of the years. And also like what really comes with the player of the year? Like who, like, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't think this up a little bit. I think I'll give a little clarity. Yeah, go for it. Like, uh, I'm kind of young. I'm in my twenties. So, uh, but when I was a kid, I really liked, I mean, I like sports. Uh, I'm kind of fading the light of sports a little bit, uh, trying to focus on other stuff. But, uh, 
anyways, I was a kid and ESPN would always be on and they'd talk about the stats. Now it's all about the narrative. Um, maybe that kind of wraps in what you're talking about with like golf and all the other aspects of like the competition and who's going to get player of the year, who's going to get this award, et cetera. Yeah. You're saying there's more, it's more about storytelling and, and yeah, uh, yeah. It's more like, yo, this guy had this, like when uh, it was very, this is like a huge, big example of it. When Russell Westbrook, he didn't necessarily, like he was possibly better when he was like 2012, 2013. And then in 2015, 2016, he had a triple double and then he was like MVP, but like he shot better. I don't know. It, it depends on how you look at it, but uh, uh, what I'm saying is, yeah, definitely I'm speaking on the narrative is more so more important than like the statistics and the evidence to support what these players are doing for these awards. It's not, it's more, yep. No, I, I mean, I totally, it's that's definitely, totally agree, dude. I'm gonna, yep. yeah, no, I, I, def, I agree with you. I think, I think the narrative, having a story, uh, giving fans something to care about definitely holds a lot of weight in voters' hands, especially for the Heisman. Um, I think, you know, that's probably why Johnny Menzel won it. I would have to go back and look at Derrick Henry's numbers because uh, I don't really necessarily remember him um, that much in college. But, uh, you know, I think I think narrative is – I mean, you could look at other examples where uh, – I don't know. Uh, you just have to, like, probably do, like, a Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Like, I don't think, I don't think the, you know, the person with the bet, you know, the most passing yards, the most touchdowns, I don't think that person necessarily always wins. Also because, you know, you have someone like, um, yes, yes. Like what, uh, we were going to give the, the Heisman to the Hawaii's quarterback, uh, was it Cole Brennan or whatever, where he like broke all those records? And Cole McCoy was about to win the Heisman. Look where he is. I mean, yeah. he's got a pretty good name and everything. Like, great quarterback. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's played for Texas and his name's Colt McCoy. Like, yeah, I mean, not gonna lie. Like, how couldn't you be a fan of him? But I don't think he deserved like a space in the NFL or like even like a top draft pick. Like, maybe it was like, yeah, the Heisman player. again. The Heisman's a, a, yeah. is a college. I agree with, you got to put it in perspective in the scope. I like where you're. We're getting on the same wavelength here, Brody. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and and going back to it, to kind of end that, the Heisman is a little bit different in this scenario because it's like college football, next level. Like disc golf, you know, there's not much. You're, just, you're in the league already, player of the year. It is what it is. So, all right, last few I things. Think, I think disc golf is, for the most part, before money has really come in the last couple of years, it's that that accolade would, would allow them to get that triumph series disc and make thousands of dollars off, off their sponsor, putting, putting a new stamp on a disc. Ooh, but yes. I don't think the players that are winning now need that money as much as they used to. So that maybe that award transitions to something else as it continuously moves forward. Well, and that's the other thing is like, you know, Paul coming out with the player of the year disc, does that, necessarily move the needle as much for Paul as it would if Isaac Robinson would have won player of the year. Right. And I think that's, that's what you're kind of getting at is there certain players that are winning this, that back in the day, it moved the needle a lot more than it's moving the needle now. Um, and that's a, that's a good one. All right. Rookie of the year. Again, another one where it's kind of like the rookie of the year is also really hard to like, I was listening to a podcast today talking about 
they were it was actually Ariel Hawani on the MMA hour. They were doing their uh Hawani uh awards or whatever. And they were talking about they don't even have a rookie of the they weren't even giving out a rookie of the year. I think they gave out um like comeback player of the year, and they also gave back out like uh most improved kind of. They didn't have like a rookie of the year because like again in MMA, like yeah, you could be a rookie in the UFC, but like you were probably fighting for a couple years in Bellator or you're fighting in Ryzen or you're in one. Like it's the same thing in disc golf a little bit of where it's not this transition of high school, college, NFL or high school, college, NBA. Like you have people that are playing against the people that are on the pro tour in their local scenes for years and years and years. And then they're bouncing onto the pro tour. So the disc golf pro tour rookie of the year, like all these things are kind of weird because like, what are you going to do? You're going to give rookie of the year to some European guy that comes over that has been playing and dominating in Europe for the last five years. You're going to say last year with uh, Juliana Corver winning the pro tour rookie of the year. Correct. But PDGA rookie of the year last year was Gannon Burr. PDGA rookie there this year is Robert Burge. Those two, yeah, I well deserve. I think the yeah, rookie of the years the are good. Tour is very interesting rookie of the year as it. Yes, I think that'll fade away with time. Hopefully, though. Yeah, you, you have as like tour cards and and ability to even get on the tour. You're not going to be able to be a rookie unless you've worked your way through the ranks. Yes. And yeah, I think rookie of the year makes sense with Robert Burridge. I'm sure there's probably other people out there like, oh, I had a much better season than him. Okay. Um, and then Aria, I can't say her last, Cast- Castorata, I think is what it is. I've seen her play a couple times. She's made a couple kind of big pushes in tournaments. So I think rookie of the year went to two great players um, and uh, two players that you probably will be hearing about in the years to come. Um and but but again, like it's just a weird rookie of the year is just like a weird one because it's like there's not really like these transitions. Like rookie of the year next year could theoretically go to like a 40-year-old person that decided to finally start playing disc golf on the Pro Tour. Like it could. So it's just a weird one of where you might have someone that's been playing in A tier and big tournaments for 20 years and then finally decide to make the jump. But I agree with Phil. I think as time kind of moves on, uh, that will kind of work itself out. Um, all right. A uh, couple more things. We've got uh, Paul announcing his schedule. Interesting. He's missing some big tournaments. He's missed the, the, the most interesting one is he's missing the Portland Open, which is one of two Elite Plus events this year. For those that don't know, um, this year we will be having Elite events. We will be having Silver events, similar to last year. They're not no longer silver series, no longer elite series. They are event elite events and silver events. Um, silver events will be worth less points than elite events, but we also have two elevated elite events, which are elite plus events. Um, in those two events, um, your points will automatically count, like both of those will. You won't be able to drop those like you will some silver events and elite events. Um, and those points are also 150%. So those points are highly elevated and um, interesting that he's going to be missing one of those. But the other interesting thing is he's doing a big Europe trip. So um, we'll see. Maybe he'll come out and talk about that. 
if he's trying to build his brand, his name over in Europe more, and that's why he's doing it, or if he just wants to travel Europe for a couple of weeks. Um, but, but we'll see if anyone else decides to do something similar. Um, the other name, like Scott Stokely, he's come out, and I don't think he is really going to be touring at all this year on the pro tour. I think he's strictly doing an international tour. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that plays out for more pros moving in the future if they are going to be coming more over on the Europe side or whatnot. But I thought that was interesting that he is going to be missing a couple of the big tour events on uh, the Disc Golf Pro Tour. And then the last topic I have on here is the PDGA membership growth stat. Now, I thought this was kind of interesting because I – I always saw the numbers and was always like, holy crap, the PGA is like growing like crazy. This is nuts. This is awesome. But I kind of forgot, like, yes, we are, like the PGA is growing. They are getting a lot of new members. A lot of people are starting to play disc golf and, and do um, tournaments and stuff. But I kind of like the numbers I'm looking at, like I have to remember there are a lot of people that just don't play disc golf anymore. And the way the PGA numbers works is just like, you literally just keep going up and up and up. So when they come out and say that, um, you know, they have 240,000 members, uh, I, you know, I, I, a lot of those people aren't active, right? And so I'm looking at this right here. This is 2020 to 2021, uh, these numbers. You've got, um, active members. So even though the number is like 240,000 or however high it is, um, active members in 2020 was 71,000 active members in 2021 was 109,000. So a good jump, like 38,000 new active members is a great jump. But again, I think sometimes those numbers that the PJ sometimes posts is a little misleading because you see like the 240,000 you're like holy crap there's a lot of people playing disc golf when in fact only 109,000 are active and as of new years I don't know what the number is currently but someone looked it up when the the, the new year hit and I I understand a lot of people don't re uh activate their their membership until you know they have to until they're about to play a tournament or whatnot but that number dropped to forty five thousand. so as of january 1st 2023 there were forty five thousand active members in the pga um it'll be interesting to see how high that number climbs compared to last year which we were at the number was almost one hundred ten thousand. um but just something to think about because you know, I see, I see those numbers and stuff and you're like, oh man, there's almost a quarter of a million people playing. Not the case. Um, so disc golf is, oh yeah. Some go ahead, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I for sure bought three youth, um, PDGA numbers for newborns of, um, there you friends, go. family yep. and stuff. Like that. And I know that's a very big thing in our sport to kind of secure a lower number, um, so I, I am always curious on how many of those new numbers are youth and then how many of those numbers have even played a tournament within the first year. That, that would be a very interesting. That's a good number. Um, yeah. I would love to hear that so number. Many people get them as gifts and it's, they never do anything with them again. Yeah. Like, I know for a fact that the three I bought 
two of them can't even walk yet. So yeah, good point. That's a great point. And I, I would say this too, like this is this these are cool numbers to know. That would be a great number to know, like how many people are playing in tournaments. I I think the PDGA has such a um, just the way they have it currently set up. Uh, it's so hard to probably put on a tournament that isn't sanctioned by the PGA with insurance that they provide, but also the ratings. Like so many players care about ratings so much, but I, again, that's something that I think will slowly phase out where there will be a lot more tournaments out there available. Um, You're seeing that with leagues. There's a lot of unsanctioned leagues that are very popular. Um, There also might be some other competitors when it comes to kind of more of the amateur level of, of disc golf goes, I think it's a cool number. I don't think it's the end all be all of how popular disc golf is. When you look at golf and like their numbers, the amount of people that actually play or USGA members is so much smaller than the actual number of people that are tuning in and watching golf or go out and casually play it. I think that's the number that matters the most. So to me, seeing how many people are tuning in uh, to uh, a live stream on YouTube uh, during the final round of a disc golf pro tour event, that number I think holds a lot more weight in the growth of disc golf um, than necessarily how many members the PDJ has. Because again, for a sport to really, really grow and continue to kind of elevate you need as many eyeballs as you possibly can on the top talent on the, on the top level, whatever that may be. Um, and then everything kind of falls down from there. And, you know, that Our highest level of congruent viewers across live for DGN and uh, YouTube this season was, I think it was 51,000. Um, and then the same following week, the live tour was in, I believe, Dubai or somewhere over Middle East, and they had sixty thousand congruent viewers. So they bought, they bought a lot. They bought a lot of bots. Don't don't trust yeah, that sixty one thousand yeah, number. I also want to know how many unique UDISC like uh, users. Yes. Period. Not even people that pay for UDISC Pro, but I do believe that the UDISC Pro who has a UDISC profile because I think a lot of super super casual players still do use utilize UDISC. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's at least, I think the truest stat in our sport would be, would be, I believe it would be who has a UDISC profile. Like how many downloads are on that? I don't know if that's something that we can publicly see on the app store or um, from there, but cause those are all unique IDs. Yeah. Cause disc golf, disc golf is a playing sport. You're, we are not, we are not the NBA. We are not the NFL. We are not the NHL. We aren't soccer. We aren't. We. I. I don't think. I don't think we're ever really going to be that. We. We are a playing sport. So the people that are sitting on their couch, tuning in, play disc golf. We're not going to get someone that doesn't play disc golf to watch. I. I just think that number is so small. So the. The most important thing, obviously, is to get more people playing, obviously. And then from that, trying to transfer. And that's obviously, Phil, what you guys are trying to do at the Pro Tour. You're trying to get those people that are playing for the first time or whatever interested in watching the professionals. 
And again, that number is going to be small, right? You're going to have 10 million people playing disc golf, let's say, and only 250,000 of them are going to be interested in watching a tournament on Sunday. Um, and that's, that is normal across all sports. But the thing that disc golf, I would say, has a disadvantage to of other sports is just the product and just the, the way it, the sport actually is. It's just not a sport that I think people that don't ever play it are going to tune in to watch. Um, I, I could be wrong. There could be people that love watching disc golf, but don't ever play it. Um, I can tell you that. Okay. So I come from the esports world, obviously. Right. And, uh, a lot of people from the esports world, you know, were like intrigued whenever they saw that I was doing disc golf content and commentary. Yep. And I will tell you that while I don't know that any of those people will become actual regular fans of the sport that tune in on a regular basis, I will tell you that, I, I mean, I can't give you a number. This is obviously all anecdotal, and so it's not really helping you out. But there are, there was actually, when people saw it for the first time that I introduced to it in, in the community, there was a lot of intrigue and curiosity about it. And the one common thread that I always got back from those people where one, it's easy to watch and understand. Yeah, there's not like a crazy barrier to entry to watching disc golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's pretty simple to get what the, the the task at hand is and and on all that jazz. And two, the other thing that I got from a lot of people is they were fascinated by watching how the disc could fly. and yes. different things that it would do. That is so that's I, that is I, our. I do think it has the ability to grasp people who don't play it. I no, no, I I agree with you, but my point my point is how many of those people continue to watch and didn't go out and play? I mean, a lot of people I've talked to still have not played, but they tune in and watch free stuff on YouTube. Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now transferring those people in the DGN subscribers is a whole different ball game. Sure. Um, I just feel like that number is probably really small. Oh, you're right. It probably is very small because like, I, you know, I, I can watch NFL, I can watch the NBA, I can watch all these sports and not have any interest in going and trying to play a pickup basketball game or pickup NFL game. And I don't know why that is. I but a lot of those people probably did play it at some point in their life, though. So. That is that that's probably what it is. It's it's probably because those sports are so much more demanding that I don't know. But also I I think that's the benefit that disc golf does have. I don't know if we're talking in circles at this point, but the benefit that disc golf does have is like you can just go out and play it by yourself. You don't need anyone else around you and you don't have to be good. And so you can still have fun and not be good. And you can play for a very long time throughout your life where, you know, football, like I would be very nervous to go out and try to play a pickup game of football right now. So I don't know if that's why I don't do it. But then again, like I never, I never really played pickup football like in college. Like that wasn't something that I was like interested in doing, but I watched so much college football. So I don't know what it is. I don't know why I don't know why that is. But I I just have a feeling like the 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 majority of people that are going to be consuming disc golf on a consistent consistent basis, meaning let's say once a month or once every other month, um I would assume they also play it. That would be my assumption. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I'm just going back to that UDIS stat. There's just been over 47,000 people that have rated the app. So that's kind of a decent number because I I know myself, I don't always rate apps, but um, I'd say there's at least casually the number of PDGA recorded players. There's probably the same amount, if not more casual players. Um, And that, that number is just pretty skewed regardless. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the pro tours, you know, their main, their main goal I would. This is what I would think. Your guys' main goal is not so much how do we get people that don't play disc golf interested in watching disc golf. I think it. I think it'd be how do we get how do we get people playing disc golf to watch disc golf, right? Because you just said your highest number was fifty thousand. I gotta assume there are. Well, someone just on here. I don't know if this is accurate. Someone just said five hundred thousand downloads on Android. I don't know if that's accurate. But I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, maybe Android shows that the Apple App Store. I don't believe, at least I did, I couldn't see that. But I do think like uh, all of our nonprofits, like you play Edge, all of these people that are you going out to these schools on a regular basis, like bringing up like, oh, I I did play PE class, I played you know tennis, I played football, baseball, softball. You played it all, but now as we incorporate these to schools, it's just a ripple effect. We're dropping the, the droplet in the water now. And it's, I think in the next five years, like Gannon Burr, his, some of his people in his high school still don't know who, who that guy is. Correct. And that our community is just so small. Like people don't know who we are on the normal streets. And then you can go into a, any disc golf course and people just know you. Um, and I, I think it's interesting as, as I've left like the professional corporate world and come into disc golf. But um, even five years ago, me telling people, Oh, where'd you go this weekend while you were in New York? Like, Oh, I went, I Ubered to this disc golf course. What's disc golf? Yeah. You still get that question a lot, but it's, it's not as common anymore. It's not. Oh, we might've lost him. I saw you're back on on the commercial and i was like i wish i would have known exactly what it was because it was such a short glance but um that was just crazy to even see it up there so yeah no i think i think those are all real good points and i think it's sometimes easy for us you know i've i've been the king of niche sports the last what 13 years something like that um uh with ultimate frisbee and and now disc golf of where you know, you can really dig yourself in it to where you think it's so much bigger than it actually is. And then when you actually kind of take a step back, like if I didn't follow some of the, you know, I, I, I still follow the pro league and ultimate and I follow a couple ultimate Frisbee players still. But if I remove those people from my timeline, I am seeing zero ultimate Frisbee. I'm not hearing anyone talk about ultimate Frisbee. I'm not seeing any clips. I'm not seeing any highlights. I'm not seeing anything. And it's probably very similar with disc golf. If you remove yourself from the disc golf world, you're not, we're not really getting reached, you know, outside media. We, we have gotten, you know, some bigger celebrities and social media people talking about disc golf, which is great. Um, and, and we obviously need more of that. But it's easy sometimes to just be, locked in and be thinking how big it is and thinking like you don't really need to do that much because it's so massive 
step back and be like, wait a second, uh, we have a lot to improve. I don't know. Again, I don't really know best forms of, you know, it sounds like you guys are kind of attacking it from all different angles. I still think the pro tour trying to figure out ways of getting people that play to just tune in once. I think you guys have made huge waves with the product um, over the last years. And I think that's transferred a lot of people from post-production to live the people that I've talked to that were huge post-production people, they always just told me live sucks. Like it's not good. And that's why they basically didn't want to watch it. And I would just keep saying like, no, it's gotten way better. It's gotten way better. Give it a try. No, it sucks. I'm not watching it. And now like you're starting to see like, all right, I tuned in. It actually was pretty good. And I think getting more people to transfer over. I love Jomez. I did one of their putting videos, GK pro, Central Coast. I love all those people because, again, that's more content out there. That's great. But at the end of the day, live is king in sports. It is. And so the more people that can transfer over from post-production to live, and now instead of 50,000 eyeballs concurrent, we're getting close to 75, 80, approaching 100,000. That means bigger sponsorships coming in for the Disc Golf Pro Tour. That means bigger purses. That means better events. That means better coverage. That means it goes down the whole line. And uh, again, I think the big thing right now with disc golf is a lot of the money is coming from the fans' pockets, straight from the fans. And and that only can happen so like only so many times can you reach into your pockets to give money. What needs to start happening is we need to start having companies outside of disc golf paying for the eyeballs that's what needs to be paying what needs to be happening so instead of actually having fans that are tuning into the, the pro tour that are buying uh, a subscription that are buying discs that are buying this and buying this like they no longer have to buy stuff they're just getting um their values in their eyeballs like that is something that can continue to grow versus you just trying to reach for more and more money from the people you've been asking for. So this is something, again, that's just going to take time, obviously. And it's, it's improving and it's growing and all these things. And um, I think people just have to be a little bit patient with it all. So with the growing and stuff, Brody, um, you're talking about, you know, bringing in sponsorships and everything else. So on your side, you know, you're dealing with, you know, contract negotiations and what have you. And, you know, everybody else is. So like Val, for instance, left uh, Dynamic, which, you know, she had a hell of a season, top six player. You look at tracks that actually leaked out numbers last year, you know, so you see numbers like, okay, Kona, great for the product and everything else good with social media and everything but the money you make on there you know what she's making compared to a top six player that was probably saying hey i'm worth that so with the growth and everything of everything going on and looking at the contracts this year nobody is showing money you know nobody's leaking out what they're getting or getting paid or going to get paid calvin had an extension we don't know how much do you think then you dealing with it as disc golf is it, are they at at a point where companies kind of hit a wall where you kind of have your money in your main baskets and they can't really currently keep up with the growth of the sport and what these players continue to build themselves 
to, you know, ask for more money where like, you know, traditional sports example, the NFL quarterback market every year goes up linebackers every year, you know, the next person's going to get signed and beat out that next contract. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's got nowhere near there, but it has, has disc golf currently hit a kind of a brick wall. And is that why we're not seeing current money being leaked out and stuff? Because companies have like dynamic, you have Ricky yep. Kona, that's a lot of money in the two players. Yep. So they can't really afford to give anybody else what they may be asking, but there's only so many manufacturers out there. Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give you a couple like answer. Um, what was it? Antidotal. I, is that the word? I, 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 I suffer. Anecdotal. Anecdotal. Thank you. Anecdotal. I'll give you a couple of those. So the first one is uh, the sponsorship, like numbers. I don't necessarily think that is beneficial for anyone involved i could someone can disagree with me on this but i think you're starting to have i I agree but disagree i think the only thing it's beneficial for is for the other players trying to get a contract um that don't know their value how how they match up but it's it's not it, it doesn't need to be shared anywhere else correct the only the only thing it's beneficial for is if you're a player that says oh you're gonna give me five dollars that sounds great and then you don't realize that the person next to you is like $5. No way. I want 10. And they're like, all right, we'll give you 10. Um, I've had, I've had plenty of uh, conversations over the years with companies where my agent will reach out to me and say, Hey, they offered, they offered this amount of money. Do you want to do it? And I'll say, that sounds good, but let's see if we can get more. Like I would, I'm going to be okay with accepting $20,000, but let's see if we can get more. And so they'll go back and say, all right, we won't do it for 20, but how about 30? And the company will say, we can't do 30. Can you do 27? And we'll be like, "Ah, okay, I think we can make 27 work. When in fact, I would have done it for 20. I think there wasn't that much of that going on in disc golf. It was a lot of just companies saying, hey, we're going to give you this. And the player being like, yep, that sounds great. And then once you start realizing what other people around you are getting, you're like, holy cow, I'm getting underpaid. I think that's behind the scenes. I agree. I don't think that should be numbers should be getting out there. I think the numbers that did get out there was, you know, when Paul got his discraft deal, when Ricky got his dynamic disc deal, when um, Kristen got her latitude deal, when Cone, I think that's simply two things. One, the company flexing a little bit and, Maybe to the players being, you know, like, I want to let people know that I'm getting paid a crap ton of money. I don't think yeah. outside of that, it does really any value. Um, you don't know, you don't know other pros sponsorship money. You have no idea what other pros are making sponsors unless the sponsor wants to make that not common, unless the sponsor wants to come out and say it or the, the pro themselves wants to come out and say it. Um, that's just not a number that is thrown around. Um, and I just don't see the value of it being thrown around for anyone. And the only other thing I'll say, and maybe someone else wants to chime in and and disagree with me here. We got another person wanting to say something, but, um, the other thing I'll say on that is uh, uh, something that foundation just did is we hired someone and uh, 
the way, and again, this is, I think how a lot of these companies are operating. We hired someone this year that we're paying a very good salary for this person, but we believe in this person is going to make that money back and more for foundation. Right. And so we are willing to risk that big salary on this person because we believe that they're going to help foundation be more successful. I think that's how all these companies should be operating of where if you look at me and you could think, you could think like, Oh my gosh, okay. We have $500,000 to spend this year. And, and you look at me, let's say, and you're like, Oh gosh, he's asking for this amount of money. That's so much money. But if you're like, wait, he's going to make us millions of dollars. You would, you would sign that in a heartbeat, right? Even if it was all 500,000 of your dollars, you'd be like, that value is going to be huge. So I think at the end of the day, regardless of how much money is tied up in players, if you believe someone is is going to be able to bring you more money to your company than what you're paying them, you will sign that person every single time. Every oh, yeah. you, you should every single time. For a, a business standpoint, yes, hundred percent. But as a player, you know, standpoint of it, like I think, for, as, you know, the value of contracts, what people are getting paid and stuff, you know, it, it's hard right now because like disc golf is growing, right? You know, we're getting, you know, as, as you said, there's more people playing and everything else. But I feel like it's very like kind of stuck right now, where like. You know, you want the players to earn more. You want them well, to be able to make a living while playing. I don't mean to cut you off real quick. I don't think it's stuck. I just think there are some players, and I'm not I'm not trying to be rude. There are some players that probably value themselves at a higher oh. at a much higher rate than what they're actually valued. Oh no, I can see that. But oh, go ahead, Phil. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to just say I, I I used to do work with Marriott Hotels back in the day and um i reached out to a contact he's the chief marketing officer and vp of marriott hotels europe um i did some with nothing. marriott a couple of years ago actually yeah he knew nothing about disc golf he lives in london when i talked to him yeah. um to try to come back what he was blown away with outside of the sport sharing some some contracts that i know about to say yeah this is a pretty legitimate sport um some players are making that he was mind blown like no way someone's getting paid any of that so i think it's good that a couple of them did release it does it need to continue that way i don't i don't believe the public needs to know any of their salaries moving forward i think that paul being the front runner and a couple of the fpo being the front runner that allowed the sport some some players to actually come into it and be sustain themselves yes um, is the sport sustainable with just the fans I don't believe it is, and I believe as it continues to shows shows the growth, and that number correlates and goes upward, we're going to be able to get those people in. Um, it's it's just a matter of time. I, I think I think we're really really close. Um, the contacts and, and conversations that we have with people moving forward are close. Um, I used to work for PepsiCo, still did. I, I actually did a Pepsi event right after the Portland Open this year. Flew to do an emergency for three days, then showed up to Beaver State Fling. Um, I have worked the last 12 year, Super Bowls with them. I'm in contact and in touch with a lot of their higher members of their like marketing. And just like, you can't go to a company like PepsiCo and say, 
instantly give us like 500. They should just throw money at you because it's so low with our outreach. But there's a whole different protocol that these yeah. giant corporations. Well, I've talked, I've talked about this too in the past of where, you know, the, the big problem that the, the pro tour has and, and disc golf has really about sponsorships is when you are trying to get, you know, a big sponsor from a company or whatnot, these companies, yeah, does 500,000, does that even make uh, PepsiCo blink? No, absolutely not. But the problem is, is these companies, when they put their name attached to something, they don't just throw money and say, okay, well, here's $500,000, put our name on it. They now have teams. They now have to build out strat. They, they, they have to do so much work to build out uh, a program of, and I'm sure like Barbasol, pretty big company, but I'm pretty sure Barbasol probably put a lot of effort into working with you guys. I doubt that they just said, Hey, we'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars do whatever you want with it. Just make sure you promote us, right? Like that's what a lot of these companies, the problem is, is like when the number is so low compared to uh, their marketing budget and what they do, like it's not worth the eyeballs or the value. It's not worth it to them because they know how much work they have to put into it. And they have to make sure that, you know, their lawyers are looking over everything and making sure that they're not tied to an organization that's going to do something bad and their name's attached to it. There's so much more that goes into it. So I don't know if that's some red tape that you guys have had yeah, with some I, companies, but, 100%. but that's yeah. something that a lot of people don't realize of like, why wouldn't PepsiCo want to sponsor a pro tour event? It's like, well, it's not because the money and once that is too, yeah. that's when the floodgates slowly, like we're, 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 we're there within, you know, I'd say almost now, like once it's really happening. And then I'd say for sure within two to three years, like, and whoever comes now, like in the beginning is, is going to be reaping the benefits from like the, the people that started this, like laid the foundation and truly believed in the sport um, at the thing. But the, the this sport's still so young. Like yes. I, I think that we're just blessed in our, in our life to have, the technology to live stream it and to do everything else for ideally a pretty low cost when it comes to like a giant sports arena broadcasting. Yeah. Um, you know, we're out there in the field with live view units that sure cost a lot of money, but on a large scale, it's, it's really just, we're, we're just teasing it. Like the new, that new capitalism of the DGBT coming through 2019 when it kind of got refunded and Steve Dodge, let it go. Like, that, that was three years ago. So like, where are we going to be in three more years? And we've already leaps and bounds from where we were. And I, I think it's, I don't know, it, it's heading into the right direction. It's, it's, it's who, who's going to get that next big thing. What's going to be the next big company. And that's, yeah, it's, it's right there. So the value, the value, or I, I should say the product that the pro tour puts on for uh, the money that they have into it is bar none like it the pro tour makes the absolute most of what they have and that is a great sign because to me that makes me feel like as more money comes into it in the production uh equipment all those things as those things continue to elevate that the product will continue to elevate versus 
you have all the bells and whistles and the product's just trash. So um, what you guys do two years ago, we go ahead. Our spectator numbers are, are, are increasing drastically, right? Like 2019, it it just started to like really take off on a large scale. Nate Heinel was the, one of the first TDs to say, yeah, I'm going to ticket worlds and make people pay people freaked out, you know, fast forward, boom, you have COVID. It kind of got us some extra eyes that we needed that initial jump. Um, thank, thankful for an unthankful time in, in our time. But like COVID then bumps it. We get more eyes, ears. Now what we're running into, and you've seen it on the road, Brody, is like how how are we – we're struggling if we're not at a golf course. How do we put 3,000 fans yep. into, this, into this park that doesn't have parking? So we're at this like great spot. And once we get to, oh, wow, we have 5,000 to 10,000 fans – now we're like, you can't even show any sport. Some of our drone footage, I think D-Glow whole, but the, the look back this year on the playoff, when you have whole, you're, you're down at hole one, hole 18, one, yep. and you look up that hill and you see that photo, there's 2,500 people on that hill. Yep. Like that looks like an insane event that's happening. What we need to do is give that golf fairway lineup. So like, I'm excited for the open at Austin this year. South by Southwest is kind of directly partnering it. Will we get some extra trickling people? Will we get some extra spectators? Like that's like, that's where we go. And then that's when all the outside people truly come and they go, okay, these people have shown year after year growth. Our spectator numbers are increasing. We're, we're doing, you know, over 30,000 tickets for the, for the season and then continuing each year and each year. And that's why I think it's, our door is like we're knocking on it right now, and I, I think I think the sport's getting. We're almost there. So yeah, <laughs> I forgot who who said this ability, but I, I was it Neil. Um, it's really it's really growing to that spot pretty quickly. No, it's been for, great for how young it is, even on this main stage. All right, we're gonna wrap up the show here, but I'm gonna give everyone that is currently on here that hasn't had a chance to talk. I we got a couple people with their hands up. Um, I don't I don't know who was on here first. So whoever whoever's willing to uh but that was uh, for those asking too, that was Phil. He works on the disc golf pro tour, does an incredible job. Um it's great that he was able to join us tonight and give us some insight on some stuff. Um, yeah, I was gonna go ahead and jump in if that's cool. Yeah, yeah, go. I want I want everyone that's on here currently because you guys have been waiting. So everyone that's on here currently, I'll give you guys some time to talk and then I'm gonna end it because I have to still eat. So go for it. Okay, cool. So I was going to revert back to when you were talking about the, I think the biggest untapped market for viewers is your recreational players. I mean, I have a brother-in-law. He was over here for the weekend and I was watching Jomez and he was like, what the heck? There's high quality disc golf. You can watch. What channel is this? I was like, well, it's YouTube. And so that's, he was just blown away that there was actually high quality footage yep. of pro tours um so to me i think that's your market and i don't know if this is throwing out an idea there where you know you got starter packs out there why can't there be some sort of uh, partnership there where uh the the disc golf network is giving a, a free trial with the starter pack so you get these beginners and these mm. recreational players out there um eyes on the live event because you're right brody i mean when I first started watching uh, coverage, I really didn't like live, but I think this last season 
it's it's come leaps and bounds where I actually enjoy watching it now. It would be uh, interesting to you bring up a good point because it would be interesting to hear the, like how much money the Pro Tour is spending on marketing and what they are technically doing to market because, um, yeah, I think that's that's huge. I think getting getting in front of people that love playing disc golf. And again, like I said, they're not going to be tuning in to the silver events. They're not going to be tuning into every elite event. Um, you're going to have some people like myself, like I'm a very casual sports viewer. So when it comes mm-hmm. to tennis, I'll pretty much only watch the majors. When it comes to the NBA at this point in my life, I'm probably watching maybe a handful of minutes throughout the season, but I'll tune into the playoffs. Like you're going to have some people like that are like that. But that's better than not having them watch it. anything. So I'm with you. I think trying to find creative ways of how do we get these people that play once a week, that do it recreationally, how do we get them out there watching? Yeah, because my brother-in-law enjoys playing. Anytime we're together and it's nice, we go play together. But, I mean, he had no clue. And, I mean, Alan, that was – Yeah. I was going to say, Alan, Alan we just came in with a donation. He said, I think live coverage – Will increase the value of players and attract more talent. I think. I think that's a huge one. I think that's a that's a. I think that's a big one because if you have someone that is, let's just say, like a varsity level athlete in high school, or let's say a D three level athlete in um, college, and they still want to compete in something, but they can't do it. They can't do their sport at the professional level if they if they figured out like oh my god you can make this much money playing disc golf and then they try disc golf and they fall in love with it and it's awesome that's gonna be great that's gonna be great we're gonna get way more athletes over in disc golf um and you'll still have the people that you know are really good at disc golf and you're like they don't look athletic at all but they've just been playing it forever and they have great hand-eye coordination or whatever it may be there's players like that and other uh, non-athletic sports because I disc golf is a non-athletic sport. You don't have to be an incre- incredible athlete to be good at disc golf. It helps, but you don't have to be. Um, but I can't see people that have that mentality uh, coming over to disc golf uh, hurting the professional side. If anything, I think it's just going to make it harder to be a professional disc golfer, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me chime in. Yeah, of course. Thanks for calling in. Um, all right, who else we got? Hey, Brody, I got, um, I want to just touch back on a subject that you, that I heard you talk about earlier. I think you're like the only person in the disc golf, like sport media world that I've heard talking about this and thinking about it this way. But, um, like you said earlier, and I think, well, I, and I think it comes from your, like your background outside of disc golf, you understand kind of like how, like the consumer business world works, but like in disc golf, when these companies invest money into sponsoring a player, they do that. Generally the idea is to do that with the thought to recoup that money plus more. Yes. And I think that nowadays, like now, I think nowadays you have some, some, well, let me, let me cut you off real quick though. Real, Real fast before you say, uh, I want to make it sure, like you're not recouping that money simply off of that player, though. That's I want to make that I want to make that known of where that player is still a marketing tool, of where 
they there is value and you and it's not just simply we're paying this person $100,000 and we can look at and see that we sold $110,000 of their disc. So we made money off yeah. of them. <coughs> you have to look at also the value of how many new players they got throwing those discs, how many people they've got switching from different manufacturers, all those things come into play, not simply just how many discs you sold for them. Continue though. Yeah, and so like that being that being um I think with like and this goes back to another point you were talking about with like all these like players like stating their their contract information, how much money they make and et cetera. Do you think that that is causing like maybe a temporary like inflation in like disc golf sponsorship contracts or do you think that like the amount of money that these players paid is sustainable like well because some players like like yourself and like paul and like even guys like ezra that are like have like off the course like media value like media value that they add to the company but there's a lot of players that don't like like calvin's one for example that doesn't really have that uh, that outreach outside of what they do just strictly on the course. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're in a live tour situation where, you know, they're money washing and they're giving players outrageous amounts of money. That makes absolutely no sense. Um, do I think maybe <clears throat> some, some manufacturers got a little too uh, overhyped with, um, the growth of disc golf the last couple of years and maybe did throw a little bit extra money at some players than maybe what their value was potentially. But at the end of the day too, like if you have to maybe overpay someone a little bit to get them to go to, you know, sign with you instead of signing with someone else, that might be a risk that you're willing to take. Um, but I think again, all this stuff kind of levels itself out. Like you know, I think that's why a lot of one-year deals happen in disc golf because companies aren't willing to really, you know, give that much, uh, va- you know, a value assessment, I guess you can say, can change year after year very quickly with where disc golf is currently. So that's a good, that can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? Because you could theoretically sign for one year for $20,000, go out, ball out of control and be like, all right, pay me. Right. But then you also could go out and play terrible and then be like, you're not worth $20,000. We, you didn't really do much for us. You're gone. So at, at the end of it, you know, I think as more of these companies come into play, I think Lone Star has definitely thrown a, a wrench in some of these players plan uh, companies plans. I think infinite um, having some retailers clash. I, I think the more, the better, because again, you want competition. You don't want to have a situation where players like, if I don't go, um, yeah, get, I, I could use a glass. I should have got a glass of water, but we're only gonna go for a few more minutes here. That's uh, the only thing I raised my hand back to say was, uh, Brody, you should get a drink. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're almost done. We're almost done. We're, we're wrapping up here. Um, but if I, if I'm a player and I have literally this contract to pick from or this contract to pick from, and those are my only choices, uh, that's going to be way worse than if I have 15, 16 different contracts to pick, pick from. Um, 
and again, it's one of those things of where you can do the, well, company A is offering me this. And then you go back to company B and they're like, well, we'll offer you this. And then company C offers and you can play that game a little bit. So I, I think these things will all kind of play itself out. Yeah. And like, uh, just to wrap, wrap up my point, like you, I'm here, you hear Hunter and Trevor talking about it on grip locked when they talked about the, the whole player, uh, when they talk about the player movement, you see like companies like Innova, who's on the like far conservative side, they're, they're not really going out and throwing at players. And then, as you said, there are some companies who are total opposite side that are going out and maybe overspending on players for X, Y, Z yeah. reasons. So it'll, well, it's a risk, right? It's it's a risk. It's a it's a it's a it's a risk, and and that's one of those things of where the risk can can turn out to gold, and sometimes it can bite you in the butt. So it just it just it is what it is. In like two or three years, kind of where where these companies end on these these contracts that they're giving these players. Yep. Um, all right, uh, Alan. Do you think the volume of players paid beats out high paid players? Okay, so I'm guessing, are you saying like the high-paid players, are they making more than everyone else? No, the high-paid players are making more than everyone else combined, if that's what you're asking. Um, Ron Jones wants to know how much money did I make last year? I'll tell you, I made less money last year than I did when I was playing golf. How about that? I'll give you that info. Um, All right. I think we have a few more people that need to talk. And then I'm calling it. I gotta call it. All right. Can I hop in here? Yeah, buddy? yeah. Go for it. Let's make let's make these last couple a little snappy here. Let's go. Let's All knock right. them out. You you might just you might just dismiss it if you don't want to get back into it. I'm muting on YouTube or Cook. Um. So the first thing I just wanted to give a touch base that um 2021 1.1 million unique users on Udisc with 17 million rounds. So I just wanted to point okay, out over a million on Udisc users on Udisc. That's cool. Um, but if you are willing to bring it up back one time real quick, I want to convince you Paige deserve player of the year. Can you hear me out? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so why did we think that Katrina did not deserve it last year? Was it was it why? was it last year or was it two years ago? Was it last it year? Two years ago. But do we do you remember exactly? I believe. I believe the reason why Katrina won is because she played in a couple A tier events and got points, which yeah made her beat out Paige. She beat Paige by like eighty points. Uh, I don't. I don't know exactly. I think she played like seven A tiers, won nearly all of them. Had you taken those off, she doesn't win Player of the Year. Okay. Yeah. So, but, so the goalposts have changed because. Paige didn't play any A tiers this year. She played only that counted towards player of the year. She only played elite series, major and majors. Now, obviously in terms of average finish and things of that nature, um, Kristen won like very clearly, but you have to take in consideration the, the ability to play through a full season. And when you look at other sports and let's look at golf, when you look at their player of the year, they have two players of the year. They have, PGA America, which is by points, and then they have a vote. So if you want to say, let's get rid of this and just have a voting just uh, with the players, I'm not exactly sure who votes for that. I think it's players. Um, if you want to do that, that's cool. But if you want to go by points, then Paige earned it. She played only like what we consider important events. And if we look again at like the FedEx Cup, everything counts. So, you know, it, if you play more events, 
that, and again, I'm not saying a, a tier should count. We, we all agree with that. But if you're playing events that matter and your opponent can't play in them because they don't want to or because they're hurt, you should get some credit for that. Right? Yeah, no, so I, like, I think you, I, I agree with you in the you fact know. that we shouldn't probably be, um, we shouldn't be uh, penalizing Paige for playing in more events. I, I agree with that. So uh, I just think that, you know, it, when we, it, it, again, if th there, it, what if Chris, uh, what if Tatar had only played five events the whole year and won all of them? Like we're, it, and I saw an argument that said, well, you know, for the disc golf pro tour standings, uh, all the events that counted were on there and Kristen won by 80 points, which is about one first place finish. But I don't find that super relevant because the only reason the PDGA maybe, or not, excuse me, the disc golf pro tour, the only reason they have the point system set up how they do where only your top finishes or a certain amount of your finishes count yeah. is just to spread the wealth because a lot of these players can't afford to get to every event. Correct. But when you look at something like the FedEx Cup, where every event in the FedEx Cup counts and you don't drop off any points, you're rewarded for playing more events. Points, so points are... Yeah, but points aren't... Uh, they, they definitely change from event to event versus... The disc golf pro tour literally it's just well last year it was a elite and silver and that's it uh i'm pretty sure fedex points change based off of um right like, the I, I, prestige of the event yeah you're right there's some okay, events that are worth more points than others yeah but uh disc golf pro tour is the same way um majors were worth 125 for the top and it worked its way down i know but um, I'm, I'm asking is that what the pj tour is to where they have like three different tiers or i'm wondering like i, I thought like you could have one event where you get 100 points and then the next event's like 120 and then 150 or am i th am i thinking of that wrong is it is it very similar to where they just have tiers and you just fill into the tiers absolutely I know for I know for like world ranking, it's it's post decided based on the strength of the field. Um, for FedEx, it, there's tiers. I don't know them off the top of my head. Okay, but I, they're not. I, I I think and and that may again slight. My point is this is my point. It's not worth this uproar that everyone's doing. Like it's worth debating because debating's great and talking about is great. But to suggest that Paige didn't deserve it, I think is a little silly when she played. I'm estimating here eight ish events that count towards what is for not counting eight tiers compared to Kristen. Like you have to, like at some point you have to penalize someone for not playing, even if it's not their fault. No, you make up a good point. I, I don't like, I don't like penalizing people for playing in more events. Uh, so you, that does make a good point. Um, I, I would say a statistic that would be interesting is, how many events did Paige finish in front of uh, Kristen when they're three out of eleven? When they're at the same events, three out of eleven. She yeah, beat her three times. So that that would be like in, in those eight times that those three times that she beat her, did she win the event? Do you know? I mean, Off the top of your head, to, right? She either got she either won or she got she got second, second right? right? <laughs> yeah, and then so the eight times Kristen beat her, I think probably she won most of those. I would say too. So. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's the tricky, the tricky thing with it is like, she was just so dominant every time she was at an event. But I, I agree with you in the fact of where it's like, 
Yeah, it, it's, it is tough to penalize someone because they were able to be healthy and play the entire event. I just think this is my point. If the, if the FPO field, and again, this might be like not fair to say, but if the FPO field was stronger, like deeper, then I don't think it would have been close because then you would have had more buffer. You would have had more separation in there, right? Versus it's like clearly Paige is still one of the best players in the world, but I feel like Kristen was her, – her, her season, like as far as like head-to-head goes – she just was better than Paige this past well, season. I think, I think that goes you know, kind of towards the PGA Tour, kind of what they're what they're doing, where they have a point, the PGA uh, Player of the Year, which is strictly points. Um, the last four years, the voting has not gone towards that person. Like, it's two separate awards, right? So when they vote, it's not the person that gets the points. So I think it's fine to have a point system and for people not to get so worked up. Just get rid of the A tiers. And the eight tiers are bad. The eight tiers are bad. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the problem with the with the uh, Katrina year. But again, like I said, that's not the case here. The case is just Kristen didn't play as many events. No, you bring up. Yeah, you you bring up a good point. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, So so to me, I think all you if you want to add another one and have it be a vote, then of course Kristen's going to probably be unanimous winner, and I think that's great. But if you have a point system in place that we agree is decent, minus the A tiers, which patient playing, I don't know how people can be that upset about it. Yeah, I think I think it's just the, the the tough part on that side is again like when you look at when you look at Paul and Ricky, it's hard to say like looking at them playing against one another, like who was better, right? Because sometimes you had, you know, Paul bested Ricky and sometimes Ricky bested Paul. But like Kristen just like dominated the field, like consistently. So I think that's where it's like tough is because, you know, when Paul would have a bad tournament, there was tons of guys that would beat Paul. And when Ricky had a bad tournament, there was tons of people that would beat Ricky. But it's like when Kristen had a bad tournament, she got third. Right, you know, and it's like there's just not as many people on the FPO side yet to where it makes it to where when Kristen has a bad tournament, she finishes out of the top ten. Like the the gap is just way too big. So um, that would be something that I would say let's keep an eye on moving forward to see does that gap get a little shrunk where you know you don't have Kristen and Paige winning tournaments by four or five shots, and you know people that are. I mean, there were people that were like in the top 10 that were like 20 shots out of the lead or something. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but it felt like that, right? So um, the the last thing I'll say on it is um, I think if disc golf was similar to golf for the point system in the tour where everyone matter. And again, I really do. In my opinion, the reason not every single one matters is because you can't rely on all these pros to get to every single event or enough events to even have a chance to be in it you know the guys who were in the 30th fighting for those spots some of those were just ones that weren't able to tour the whole year and it's cool to get them an opportunity but like if they would have counted every single one of them Kristen wouldn't have won the points she wouldn't have right so had that been the narrative I don't know people would be as upset so uh, yeah you know I, I obviously Kristen had a better season not arguing that but if we're going by points it is what it is if you don't play the whole year so no I agree uh, yeah no, I agree. I mean, I agree with you. You know, if if you have someone that shows up, they play five times, they win all five times, and they don't play the rest of the season, they're not going to win. So, um, yeah. No, I agree. It's it's hard to punish someone 
And maybe that was unfair for us to punish Paige um, for just being healthy and being able to play the full season. So, yeah, good points. Um, Caleb, I think so you're – It goes by points. Chris, oh. Katrina Allen, once again, is is the player of the year. Just, just Oh, with that. all the A-tiers and stuff, you're saying? Yes. Kristen, uh, Paige didn't play any A-tiers. So – and if you count every single pro tour event, Paige wins, but they don't count all of them. They only count the top, your top 10 or whatever. Yeah. If they count all of them, Paige wins. Gotcha. Um, Caleb, did you have something? I think we have Caleb and we have KJC ending up the show. Finish it up, boys. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the whole sponsorship conversation real quick, just briefly. I saw Drew Gibson yep. in the queue or whatever you call it, but I think the future of disc golf and Drew's kind of the forefront with this, with this, uh, EV7 deal. He signed a two-year deal with uh, Poet Penroses exclusively. Mm-hmm. Now he's got this deal with RPM where he's going to be throwing. I think it's the, the White Hawk is what the mid-range is called. But um, and Eric Oakley invent, like helped design a new disc with Clash. I know he's technically sponsored by Clash now, but uh, the Spice. I think the future of disc golf is going to the sponsorships particularly are going to more so move in the direction of players being paid to throw one particular mold and less so being sponsored by a brand at their entire lineup. Because, like, I think there there are a lot of uh, local scene guys that are sponsored by Gateway just to exclusively put with Wizards. Um, so, like, that kind of deal is going to, like, it may not be in the next five or six years, but I think 10, 12 years from now, that's going to be way more common, especially with uh, uh, retailer sponsorships growing like they are. And you may tell me I'm an idiot and I'll happily take it. But yeah. No, I think I think having different options, you know, I don't I don't think the um the uh hey, you're being sponsored, that means your entire bag has to be us and if not, see ya. Like I don't think that's a I don't think just having one option like that is is good. I think um having multiple options out there for multiple people and then deciding what's best and what works best for them is is ultimately going to be the best for the players. Um, yeah, but I think it's also going to move less so from kind of the niche companies like Gateway or Lone Star or like Drew with Finish Line and EV7. And it's going to move more into, like how much money has this, I'm not asking you to like disclose numbers, but this craft's made a ton of money off of Get Freaky Zones. Um, yeah. <laughs> like with Paul's uh, PM line. Like, yeah. Yeah, there, there's just a, too much money there to where like I don't know what your plans are or whatever, but like let's say it was the bull snake with Lone Star. Uh, if you were to like just start throwing bull snakes instead, then they'd make a ton of money off of that mold. Then yeah, I, they don't really care if you throw warbirds or middies or whatever else in their lineup because they're making their money off of you throwing bull snakes. Yeah, so, I think I think that the the issue with doing like the one disc thing, I think it makes sense for a putter, right? Because it's like this is the only putter you can you can putt with right? Like if you're putting, it has to be this putter. That makes sense. I think it's a little trickier when it comes to like mid range, uh, fairways and drivers, because if someone's, you know, says you can, you, uh, you have to put this in your bag. There's a lot of other drivers that I could throw and never throw that disc. Right. And so that's where it gets a little trickier, I think outside of the actual putter. And that's why I think it wouldn't necessarily be individual discs, um, it could be like individual discs and like, you know, like you were saying the, uh, what'd you say? Warbird? What, what was it? Like, uh, I was just talking about like the, the bull snake is like bull snake. Style disc yeah. Stars line up. You're saying it's like an approach disc. 
yeah. Okay, so you could so for that they could be like, all right, we really want Brody to push this, but in order for us to make sure like he's pushing that disc, he has to throw all approach discs have to be Lone Star, right? Because if they just said, if I just said, yeah, I'll I'll put this disc in my bag for a hundred thousand uh, dollars, what's stopping me from never throwing it and throwing a A three and throwing a uh, 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 you know, get freaky zone or throwing a pig or whatever. And I never just throw the disc it's in my bag, but I'm never throwing it. So that's where I think outside of putters, um, they would have to make it to where like the entire, that entire section of your bag, mids, fairways, drivers, that entire section of your bag would have to be, um, like their manufacturer. Well, and that th- there's some validity to that, but I think a lot is going to be figured out. Just like how many, that we'll say like Drew's throwing the the White Hawk or whatever that disc is called from RPM. If that disc sells like crazy, then maybe there is like some validity to just having that disc in your bag. Because he made like one YouTube video about it, and I'm sure it sold a uh, good few many after that. But um, yeah, and he, but yeah. it also might be one of those things of where again, like his, his contract might be where the more that they sell that he gets more money. The, the issue right. is if you have a contract where they're just giving you a hundred thousand dollars, throw this, disc, right. we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. I have no incentive on throwing that disc. Like I'm going to throw the disc that's going to make me have the lowest score possible. And so I'm no longer forcing that disc because like if a million of them sell or five of them sell i still make a hundred thousand dollars right so at at the same time though and i might be hurting my own case here how can you justify whether like if if you and me are both throwing the buzz like obviously i know that you're gonna sell more buzzes than i am but who's how how can we break down if someone just buys a disc from foundation how can we justify whether i got them to buy that buzz you got them buy that buzz you know yeah you can't you can't so that's where you have to that's where you have to just like that's where these manufacturers have to do a little bit more um, research and a little bit more digging into a value of a player. Because if you're only valuing a player on how much disc they move with their name, they move with their logo. If that's all you're valuating that player on and you're not evaluating, oh, wait, like they throw this disc and they probably got a whole bunch of other people to buy it, but they don't have that disc, you know, under their line or whatever. Um, like that's a lot of value. And if you're missing that out and someone else realize it and pays you what you're worth, uh, you're probably going to lose some people. So yeah, that, I think that's a part of the manufacturer game of where I think manufacturers probably had it a lot easier in the, in the, in the old days because they would just give tour series discs and based off of how well your tour series discs, that's how much money you got. But now you know, people are being a little bit more aggressive and being like, no, we're going to pay you this amount of money. And now companies are having to be a little bit smarter how they do it. So, um, yeah. All right. That's a good one. Uh, I think that's it. I think we ended it. Caleb, good question. Don. Thanks for calling in. Thanks. Thanks for everyone for calling in tonight. Um, if you're still listening on Twitter spaces, thank you so much. We are live on YouTube right now. Um, this is the debate night podcast, which, you know, I think this was a pretty good episode and you know what? It's going away. So the question is, is this, is this the new podcast format of where I just do a Twitter space 
let me know if you're if you're listening to this uh, later on and you loved it. Come over to the YouTube and um, drop a comment and let us know because the way that this show is moving forward, it's going to be much more of a like not game showy, but much more of a like a points base where we're going to have a couple people and um, we're going to be talking about it. Similar to Around the Horn. If you've watched Around the Horn, um, it'd be a similar kind of format to that. Trevor will be the host of it. And um, and it will be, you know, I will be a much smaller part on that because I will be there with three other people and I'll give my little two cents here and there, but I won't really have a lot of time to dive into certain topics and whatnot. And especially we won't really have call-ins on a show like that. Um, so I wonder, uh, I wonder if this maybe just be the new podcast where I just jump on here, do a live with you guys. I love the live chat on YouTube. I love the Twitter spaces. I'm a big fan of, um, of how this actually worked out. Quite frankly, I I thought it was actually a lot of fun. Um, so maybe this is it. Maybe this is like the new show that we were maybe trying to figure out. And then we have the Trevor show as well. So that way we can, uh, we can get all of our, what is it? Cross all of our T's and dollar all out of our eyes. I'm going to throw Phil in here one more time. He's got, I think he has something really, really good to say here at the end. Let's see, Phil, what do you, what do you have to finish off the show? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to do a debate night. I don't know. May, maybe chat with a couple of you guys one day, but recreate if disc golf had a salary cap. And and you know, Discraft can only spend two million dollars for the, every every oh, manufacturer. Yeah, to build a team. I think that that'd be cool. I don't know. This this sport could be pretty interesting surrounding it. What, what would that do for you know? Now you want your players to finish in the top ten. You want all so you would pay them accordingly, or however you would try to balance that out. So Discraft got points each week, or Innova got points. Each yeah, week. so it's but, more like we talked about this a little bit about like more if there was a Formula One kind of feel of where there yeah. was actually like a manufacturer's cup as well. Um, along with, yeah, so, yeah, who knows? I mean, right, yeah, thanks, Phil. Appreciate I've never it. Really I've always been busy, but um, yeah, today I, I, I popped in and that, that was, uh, was cool to hang out with everyone. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for so much. Um, yeah, that would be that would be something else. I'll tell you that. If like, gosh, and, and like, who knows? Like, golf doesn't necessarily have it all figured out. You know, Live Tour is doing some stuff. Golf's having to try to figure. The PJ Tour is trying to have to figure out different things. Like, we don't necessarily have to copy everything other sports are doing. We could we could take a little bit here. The salary cap thing would be kind of a dark horse thing, I think, because I think that would limit how much money players could can make, which I'm not a huge fan of. But if you did make something where like there was a manufacturer's cup, that could be interesting. Um, I mean, heck, I, the number one question I get all the time is like, why don't they have like a manufacturer's tournament where it's like Discraft versus Innova and Prodigy versus MVP and all this stuff? Like, people want to see that so bad. I have no interest in it because, like I said, I don't really view people that I'm sponsored with as my teammates. However, if I was thrown into an event like this and you told me these are your teammates, they now become my ride or die. So um, we'll see how that all pans out. But again, let me know if you're listening to this later on, listening to this live, let me know what you thought of the show. If we should keep something like this 
going moving forward. I had a lot of fun tonight. I appreciate everyone that tuned in and listened. Thank you so much. If you haven't yet, go pick up a scout, atlasdgs.com. Pick one up. Uh, they're incredible. And um, make sure you're following me on social media. Stuff is going to be dropping soon. Have a good night.